Download the app, Bet Big, Win Bigger. And I gotta tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with WinBet, it's just that easy. WinBet has what you need to win, including boosted same-game parlays for the upcoming NBA action after the football season. So if you're from Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, sign up today to receive a special offer. New users can take advantage of WinBet's Bet $10, Win $200 offer. Just bet $10 and win $200 in free bets. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download the app, bet big, and win bigger. And let's get after it. Bet 10, win 200 is not available in Michigan. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where win bet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan... 1-800-270-7117. In New York, one eight seven seven eight hope ny Tennessee, Today on the Greenlight Pod, Chris and Macon chat with acclaimed sports writer Jeff Perlman about the new HBO show Winning Time based on his book Showtime about the 80s Lakers dynasty. And Jeff talks about adapting sports books to the screen and some of his other projects like the 86 Mets, Walter Payton, Brett Favre, and Bo Jackson. Then Taylor and Dr. Fax join for a Worst Sports Logos draft and some mailbag questions. Enjoy. Euclid, Ohio. Hello! Why Euclid? Why not? I'm on a random city generator here for the past couple weeks, and I'm not proud of it, but I'm also not proud of my hellos. So things ebb and they flow, and we get into ruts, and I'm currently in a rut. Anybody famous from Euclid? Jerry Tarkanian. Oh, my God. He's I'll from, be damned. Holy shit. That's a little Easter egg for you. Did you do that? No. I just saw it on the screen. Because this is two hellos in a row. Last week, there were like... a. 18 degrees of separation, Kevin Bacon. Is that more or less separate than... What was it last week? <sighs> it was Inception. It was Hello Inception. Paxton Lynch thing. That's yeah, Paxton. right. Daytona, Deltona. And you're going to hear about Jerry Tarkanian a little bit later in the show. Yeah, Jeff Perlman, who, uh, who wrote um, Showtime. It's being adapted. I mean, if you've been living under a giant rock, it's there's going to be a show about the Lakers in the '80s. It's going to be awesome. Magic, Kareem, Pat Riley, Jerry Buss, the whole thing. Like, it's such an interesting story. And like, starting to read Jeff's book here, and I've I've read a great deal of his Three Ring Circus with Kobe and Shaq and Phil. This interests me almost more because it's an era where you had even less information. And like when you talk about the Lakers in the late 70s and 80s, it's a totally different franchise. And it's just like a couple little things go differently, including Magic Johnson maybe. Not being a Laker? 
um, or Jerry Tarkanian's friend not dying and then being thrown into the back of a Rolls Royce. Um, all this stuff, like one little thing changes and they're probably not the Lakers that we know today. And so Jeff Perlman taking a deep dive into this, like unsurprisingly, people are like, this is fucking gold. Um, let's make a TV show. So HBO definitely was like, nah, we're not doing Showtime, bro. Like we can't do Showtime. Winning time. Jeff Perlman though, he's made it. We're going to talk to him for, for a long time in a couple minutes here. Um, and for those of you who don't like reading, this is perfect. You can hear all about it, then watch the TV show. Or you can do an audio book like me. Oh, um, that's, how you're, that's how you're reading it? Yeah, 2X. Uh, I think you should have shared that. That feels like it should have been a disclosure. Really? Yeah. Really? Do you know who is reading it? Is it Jeff or somebody else? Uh, I don't think it's Jeff. It's not Jeff. It's not Jeff because the first time I heard his uh, three-ring uh, circus thing, I was like, that's a, his... Uh, how do you go about picking who reads your audiobook? Like who who reads your audiobook? Can we stop this slander though? Like listening to an audiobook is reading. Yeah, mate, you're being a fucking turd right now. No offense. If you listen to an audiobook all the way through, how do you express it to someone other than saying I read the book? You say you read it, but it's a lie. You didn't read it. I read the book. <laughs> no. I've read four <laughs> chapters of the book. No, you've listened to it, and that's fine, and it's a and it's a fine experience, just a very different one. So, so you, you don't, don't think blind people can read books, right? Well, there's Braille. You really stepped in it there. Well, there's Braille. Yes, there so is Braille, they but, but they're not reading it. That's fingering a book. Oh god. <laughs> well, to be fair. <laughs> I, I get what you're, you're saying. Your apps, I think this is the wrong take here, and it's okay. I'm just trying to think of a way to pin you down on it, honestly, is what I'm doing right now. The but you're clear on what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's not, a, it's not a, a worse way to consume it, it is. And it's, you're still getting all the words into your head pictures in theory, but it's, a, it's not reading. You're not reading. You're listening. You're, <laughs> you're not <right>. reading. <laughs> it's kind of like walking, though, in the airport on the fucking, on the, the moving sidewalk. Like, I'm getting where I need to go. That's a good analogy. You know sure. what I mean? Like, and sure, you're getting you, there faster. Yeah, and you really want to walk, and that's fine, but you might miss Get your flight. Get my steps in. Might, might be. It's more rewarding. Might miss your flight. That's right. Listen, we had an interesting conversation with a, with a friend of ours the other night. <laughs> it's qu coincidental that we're having a, a, you know, somebody, a biographer on. He said, you can't write books about the living. He said, it's creepy. It's stalkerish. Stalkerish. <laughs> is how the, he described that it. That is the worst take I've ever heard. And I, we both heard it at the same time at a bar the other night. Our friend who will go unnamed doesn't think you should write books about the living because it's creepy. So he thinks Jeff Perlman is a creep. Like the biggest creep. He's got to think Jeff Perlman. And then we got to talking about this, like, it's an interesting topic. Like, what constitutes, what is the Mendoza line for you having a book written about you? Because I, I think that there are certain people that uh, should not have books written about them oh. because they're not, very few people, in fact, the list of people. We kind of got to the point where we'll write a book about anybody. Oh, right? yeah, I disagree with you. I think anybody can have a book written about them. <laughs> you think so? For sure. Now, the onus is upon the it's, it's, author to make it interesting. I think my take is that it's not a bad look to write a book about somebody who doesn't deserve a book written about them. You are profiting off that. It's a bad look 
for the person who's like, yeah, I'll sit down and tell you about my four years in the NBA. Hmm. You know, like, so the onus is on, again, we agree. The onus is on, well, in my opinion, the subject of the book, like know who you are. Damn, so if someone approached me just because I only had four years in the NFL, I can't write a book, Chris? I don't think I'm worth <laughs> writing a book about. I've, I was 11 years in the NFL. Like all I'm saying who is- Who gives a shit about the NFL? <laughs> I'd, I'd rather read a book about my mailman. So where is the Mendoza line for having a, bo- uh, a book written? And I agree with you in an almost different way. Like your life is more interesting than somebody who played 15 years. Yeah, but to, to his point, the. The mailman probably has a real interesting life. For sure. You have you see a lot of different people. By the way, the shout out to basis. my mailman. He retired. Oh, this look at week. that. Oh, no, so we, that's the Huh? Yeah. You talking about Yeah. You need to find someone to write a book he, about he him. He sent a card. You probably got one in your mailbox too. It made me kind of sad. When I think about a mailman retiring, it's kind of sad. Like you guys know your mailman? Like know yeah. him personally? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Well, anyways, when the mailman retires, he sent me a, th- a thank you note after a Christmas gift. Did you give him anything at Christmas? Yeah. Cool. 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 Yeah, we gave him money. Uh, so did I. Okay. Did you get? Did you get the thank you note? Uh, I don't keep track of thank yous. I'm all about outgoing, uh-huh. not keeping score. But I just, if you're some people, you should really consider not having a book written about you. It's a self-important thing to be like, yeah, I'm gonna sit with wrong. this guy for. You really think? <laughs> yeah. Wrong take. Yep. Really? Yep. So the Mendoza line for you is like point zero zero zero. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think the Mendoza line for somebody like seven years in the NFL. No, I think it's Nick Foles. Nick Foles has a biography. Any other of my teammates that had a book written about him, I'd laugh at them. But like Nick Foles pulls it off because he's a remarkable person. He has gravitas. Like he's like this unlikely story. But he's also famous, but he's also kind of like. Don't you don't you think the whole point of writing one of those books so is at the end of it, people feel just like what you're saying. This person is marvelous. Like, sure, but again, it's how it's framed. Why? A lot of these books now are very like about my life and how you can have one like mine too. And it's not, that's not how life works. Mm-hmm. You can't just be like, let me read this guy's book. I'm going to be fucking, I'm going to be an astronaut because I've read a book about an astronaut. Like you can't, like, you can't learn how to be an astronaut in a book. You got to fucking be in it. You got to go to Ryan Gosling school. They got to spin you around. I just read a book about Edith Farnsworth. Who's Edith Farnsworth? Farnsworth. She had a house built for her in, uh, near Chicago on the Fox River. Right. And it didn't go so well. <laughs> you should read it. It's called Broken Glass by Alex Beam. Um, where's your Mendoza line, Matt? <laughs> it's probably just north of you really you think somebody oh, just north of me it, is dog. i mean i don't give a shit would you let macon go straight your biography no english major no not at all i have the best words great grammar but also a liar <laughs> so there's a couple issues we're running into here <laughs> i'm actually one of my best qualities is honesty really i, I think it's the best policy yeah i've said that for a long time <laughs> And true to form, one of my best qualities is being truthful. No, one of your best qualities is being funny. You're Thanks. a funny guy. Funny Thanks. guy. Thanks. You, I lie? Sometimes. About? On the air sometimes, mislead. Oh, that's a bit. Oh. That's for the sake of comedy. <laughs> the more people you lie to, the less serious it is. Um, Real estate, comedy, faith, family, football. Five pillars. So anyways, tell us what you think the Mendoza line is for having a 
you know, a biography written about. And why is an autobiography, you know, like... Any, anybody can have a book written about them. When do you think life starts? At conception? Wow. You're the one who doesn't think blind people know anything because they had to have read the book. You have to read it the old-fashioned way. That's well, you, you can't write a book about a dog. Uh, you got to read a book just like they did. And I need a quill and a fucking candle on my desk. Millions of books written about dogs. Is that okay with you? Yeah, about dogs they, and like what dogs are like. They didn't like uh, make it through any training camps. What dogs are about. And I was just, we were only Actually, using the they NFL probably here. made it through a bunch of training camps. There's lots of dog training out there. That's true. Some of the best dogs. All I'm saying, yeah, you want to write a book about dogs? You want to write about a book about one dog that ran across the country just saving people in fires? Like just went and found the next fire Why and the next fire. Why do they fire. have to achieve something great? I could write a book about the rabbit who takes 10 naps a day. But this is, I could go on and on and I'm on. I'm saying in my, for me <laughs> to read the book, like personally to see the book is like, hey, this is cool. You know, for you, yeah, you'd read like some it, like minimalist Zoe Rabbit by Macon. You're not picking it up. I'll sign it. The dog to Chris. Best is, wishes. Is it a picture book? No, it's not. A, there are some pictures. Yeah, but okay. no, I'm going to write. I'll read it. All I'm, I'm saying, it. dude, okay. all I'm saying is some guys these days end up looking kind of funny being like, yeah, I'll take the book deal. And then I'll like be in Barnes and Noble and I'll know the guy or something and I'll be like, <laughs> Bad look, buddy. So that was hello. Euclid, Ohio. Euclid, Ohio. Um, hey, let's just do a shuffle. Okay. You want to do a layup line shuffle? I'd love to. Yeah? Hey, I need to uh, get off here of the uh, green light pod because I was listening to it here. So to get Damn, to my a, uh, library. You're like an autobiographer. <laughs> Fucking creep. Isn't that sweet, though? I think what our friend said is just, it's asinine. I think books should be written about a lot of people, just not some. I'm not picking them up. <coughs> Give me a celebrity. I'll tell you if I'd read their book. Dave Matthews. Probably not. He's just a really talented white guy. I already know what being a white guy is like. You know? Like, the talent part, like the musical talent. But he's just, he's, he's very interesting, very smart, very personable guy. He's different, right? I got it. Antonio, Antonio Brown. <laughs> I think I'm going to audiobook that. Uh, what to, what, Denzel Washington? Well, it depends. Was it, would he have an interesting childhood? Got to listen to the book. No, I do want a Denzel. Anything that's behind the scenes, Hollywood, <laughs> like stories about what people were really like at like dinner and what, shit or Will on the Smith. set, I'm in. Will, Will Smith. Smith, definitely, because everybody was fucking each other. <laughs> I just want to know who was fucking who. I was watching the SAG Awards last night. Not so much the awards, but the red carpet. Yeah. And the interviewer with uh, Will and Jada at the end was like, hey, we'll, we'll keep listening to the show. And uh, hey, no more entanglements, you two. And I was like, wow, that's really awkward and kind of disrespectful well, to the say. Only, well, the only reason it's not is because it's kind of a known thing that they've been entangling for quite a while. Well, no doubt, but still probably not the number one thing they want to talk about on a red carpet. Maybe he was shooting his shot. You ever think about that? Uh, Dave, what's in it? Would you read a Dave biography? I know this is a loaded question for you. You know all about Dave. No, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> not a big reader. I also know, like, I've been to Miller's. <laughs> I've been to Miller's. I know where the warehouse is. You know what I'm saying? Right here, yeah. Um, 
Shout out to Dave Matthews. Okay, ready? Yeah. I'm hitting the button. Hit the button. Old Town Road. Ha! Featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the Old Town Road. Bro, I wanted to murder that song. Lil Nas X. Circa 2017. I think because my kids well, the best, ran it into the ground. He's the best marketer in the <laughs> past 10 years. Okay. April 2019, in the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota, those Texas Tech fans commandeered Old Town Road by Lil Nas X and Billy Ray. Danny Amendola owes me a tattoo. And uh, boy, was it nice to win that national championship game. Mainly because it would have been really not nice to That's lose That's for it. sure. I'd just love to lay you down, Conway Twitty. Lay you down and softly whisper. Ooh, that might be my uh, That's pretty good. nominee right there. Taylor's deciding today. Third one, Cecilia, Simon and Garfunkel. Fire from me. Yeah, that's pretty good. Damn. What are you shuffling off of? Like what list? Spotify. Or just a just library. All our songs. My library. Oh, just this is a good. This is a good opportunity to re-explain the segment because I've had people ask me years into this podcast what a segment means. Oh, count me among okay, them. Good. Time is on my side. The Rolling Stones, also known as Denzel Washington's favorite Rolling Stones song. Time is on my side. Stone song. So, uh, that was the soundtrack from uh, what's the movie where he's the devil? Fallen, oh. fallen, fallen, fallen. It's in the it's in the trailer. I guarantee you. You're gonna like the way you look. You're going to hear time is on my side. I guarantee you. Okay. The Mountain by the Heartless Bastards. I don't even know what that song sounds like. Fell on Black Days by Soundgarden. Hmm. So. Rough um, one for you. Yeah. Fuck. Can we get your final nominee for each and then Taylor will decide? Yeah, sure. I'm going to go fell on Black Days, Soundgarden. I'd love to lay you down, Conway Twitty. I'm unfamiliar with making songs, so by <gasps> default, I'm going to go with Chris, Soundgarden. You see how I just fucking played chess? Well, no, 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 no. I, I think you've misunderstood. I'm not trying You're to not be trying to selected. Thing. You're trying yeah, to, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to be true to myself, and that's the song I wanted to pick. So t- Taylor looking like an idiot isn't a reflection on me. <laughs> hey, Soundgarden. Great band. I don't know what you have against dead singers. Hey, Conway Twitty had a fucking some lettuce on him, didn't he? Yeah. Probably real too, even though it doesn't look it. Bro, Conway Twitty had Lego Man hair. That's a compliment. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. It's attached to your head. It's thick. All right. Jeff Perlman. Showtime. Thick books. If you're in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or Virginia, and you haven't tried the WinBet app yet, I got great news for you. WinBet is now offering $200 in free bets for new users. That's right, 200 big ones. WinBet is basically giving you free money. Don't pass it up. Download the WinBet app today. 
Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where WinBet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. In New York, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. My good friend, Jeff Perlman, is uh he's not only famous right now but he's also podcasting in a closet and that's uh that's commitment i jeff is not only making time on a monday but he is he slipped into the closet there are nice ties over his right shoulder he's wearing a lyle alzado t-shirt i love that what's up jeff i'm uh you know what strikes me do you ever have this happen to you i um i'm wearing a hat from my alma mater today the university of delaware and on the side of my Twitter feed, all of a sudden it popped up people to follow University of Delaware with this logo. Do you ever just feel like I'm actually being serious? Do you we're ever just feel watched. like we're Yes. We're being watched, we're being listened to. I'll talk to my wife about something and then the next Instagram targeted ad is exactly that. Super weird. It is fucking weird. <laughs> UD. Now if Udonis Haslam rings your cell right, phone exactly. today, you're really gonna have an issue. Yeah, that'd be a the whole issue. I mean, um, so the Lyle Alzado t-shirt, um, we actually were digging and in 1999, speaking of Howie Long and paying homage to the Raiders and that badass defensive line, um, what, what did he rank the top, top 50 athletes from every state? Is which that is right? an incredible undertaking, Jeff. I mean, like oh, without the yeah. internet, this whole thing, like I, I, I do want to ask how the hell you did that, but Howie Long was what? 14th. In Massachusetts, behind a what is, what is the hockey player's name, Matt? Robbie Fatorek was twelve. <laughs> what the fuck happened, Jeff? <laughs> I didn't have Massachusetts. We split it. The at the current, I swear to God, the current editor of Sports Illustrated, Steve Cannell, and I split the states. And I had N through the end of the alphabet, and Steve had A through. What a relief! Sorry. It was the worst project ever. What, how do you do a project like that? It was terrible. So basically, it was the it was the end of you know it was coming toward the end of 1999, and the editors were like, "We want to do the 50 greatest athletes from every state. We're gonna have a different cover in every state," which at the time was a big undertaking. And they took me and Steve Canella, two baseball writers, young baseball writers, and they had us do it. Basically, we were digging through media guides, calling people, state hall of fames. We had stringers sending in information. My favorite moment was um, <laughs> I had North Carolina. And I was reading all these articles about North Carolina and I read and this is how pathetic these lists are. I read an article about a guy named Walter Teapot Fry, who is a deceased minor league middle infielder from North Carolina. And his family was trying to get him in the state hall of fame. And I thought, I wonder if I put this guy on the list at number 50, mm. if he'll get in the state hall of fame, just because I read about him wanting to be on the list. So I made him number 50 in North Carolina. And a few weeks later, I'm reading the newspaper in Raleigh and it's like sports illustrated list convinces hall to reconsider nomination. Of- oh, right. <laughs> there we go. I was like a 27 year old guy who had never heard of Walter teapot fry and me putting him on a list. You know, the Elvis Gerbaugh story, right? No. Oh, the sports illustrated story. Yeah, you know that one, right? Like, yeah, there was something to the effect of he wasn't that sexy or it was the other guy that wasn't that sexy. And then they had like, it was Neil O'Donnell or somebody maybe? No, it was Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon, sexy ass. And <laughs> Elvis, it was, this is how dumb these lists are though. It was like uh, sexiest, whatever, they did sexiest everything. And my friend, I actually broke that story. A friend of mine, a people <laughs> told me that story, how they, they told the people photographer, it's going to be the chief's quarterback. 
So we need to photograph the Chiefs quarterback. And they photographed Elvis Gerba and they bring the pictures back and they're like, uh, and like we said the Chiefs quarterback and it was Gaddon. They did the wrong guy. Bro, that is one of the most all-time amazing stories ever. Like on multiple levels, because I had no idea that chicks were into Rich Gannon. You know, Delaware. Like, Delaware yeah, guy. UD guy. So yeah. there you go. But uh so Flacco, like just a bunch of sexy quarterbacks coming out of UD. And sports writers. And sports writers. Maybe Flacco in ninety nine would have made that list, but the, the times have changed. And so Elvis Gerbach, they show up to Kansas City and they're like, I think you're the guy, right? And he's like, Yeah, I'm here for the photo shoot. Does a photo shoot. It gets printed and people are like, I guess he's hot. <laughs> it's kind of, of the, like they're holding the magazine at weird angles. It's like one of the most all time Awesome stories. I had no idea you were connected to that. Yeah, correct. I love that story. God, that's good. So I want to talk to Jeff about a lot of stuff today. Namely, you know, his two, 2014 book, Showtime. It's all about the Showtime Lakers. And you know it now as it's going to be adapted onto, uh, I don't know what you would call that, like the, I guess basically the silver screen. It's HBO, man. Like it's like a movie to me. I mean, like a, this is like a movie project. Looking at the trailers and stuff. It's incredible. You're working with Adam McKay, who you didn't know you didn't hear of. <laughs> this is, Sorry. That's so good, dude. That's awesome. Uh, and he's also got his podcast, Two Writers Slinging Yang, which I want to know what Yang is. It means uh, talking shit. Talking shit. Slinging, Slinging Yang. Throwing it around. Yeah. That's good. Who's the other writer? It's whoever appears. Oh, it's whoever. Unless you, uh, that was me. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, because I've been on the podcast and I was not a writer. I'm wondering, I was like, where's the other writer? But I'm perfectly. No, you, were the, you were the rare guest of what it's like for an athlete to deal with the press. I thought I'd throw a little. That's not rant. true, though, Jeff. Uh, Chris wrote a student newspaper entitled Satanly Speaking. That's true. Which was satirical. We had an actual school newspaper called Saintly Speaking. And you were prolific. I, I think you wrote shit, every article shit in the disturber thing. disturber and. Uh, and a promising young writer. And you recently, you just had Jim Hecht on, which you, we can get into the entire story. Yeah. But I'm curious, how many times have you been approached throughout your career? Hey, we're going to option this book. And it never, ever, ever happens. Uh, I would say about 10, 10 or 11. And um, the first time it happened, I wrote a book called The Bad Guys One, which is about the 86 Mets. And that was my first book. And uh, some guys like... $30,000 to option your book. I'm like $30,000 for just great. Mm. You know, you're telling everyone, you're like, mom, dad, they're making a movie in my book. They're making a movie in my book. Everyone, guess what? They're making it. And then of course it never happens. And the thing about this business that I have learned is there's so much bullshit. There's just so much bullshit and everyone knows someone, everyone knows someone, everyone my uncle went to college with Denzel and he really blank, right? Or I know Julia Roberts, she blank. And the low point for me actually came several years ago. I was at a place called the Soho house in LA. Someone took me there to show off his wares and he wanted to buy the rights to a book. And he starts showing me pictures on his phone of all the women he's having sex with. And he's literally scrolling through the pictures and they're naked and half naked pictures that he took of them standing in his like hotel room or his apartment. And I was like, I'm just in the wrong place. Like, mm -hmm. this is just... So by the time Jim Heck came along, I was like, I had no faith. No, I was just a complete skeptic of this whole world. <laughs> Jim came to my house. Jim reached out to me. Jim and his partner, Jason Schumann, reached out to me. And I was skeptical as always. This is 2014. 
and I'm Jewish. Jim is Jewish. He came to my house, New Rochelle, New York, Easter Sunday. I, I still don't know why it was Easter Sunday, but he came on Easter Sunday. I really want to talk to you about this book. I love this book. You IMDB him. His main credit was Ice Age, The Meltdown. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I literally was the main credit. I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? And um, he comes to the door and he has three things with him, which is still my favorite thing in the world. A block of chocolate, a baker's chocolate in saran wrap, a tomato, like a big tomato, and a drink of a bottle of wine drink. Not wine, like wine drink. Uh-huh. Kind of like how like uh, Kool-Aid is juice drink. It's yeah. not actually juice. And my wife is like, who the fuck is it? Like, who is this guy? And I'm like, it's Jim Hecht. And he wants to buy, you know, and um, he just talks about how he loves a book and it could be something. And I don't believe him. And through the years we have meetings and nothing happens. And him and his partner, they every now and then they'll invite me to like a Laker game. And I'm like, nah, it's okay. I can't come. But I just didn't believe anything. And I just had been through these experiences. And then one day, a few years ago, he's like, Adam McKay wants us to go to his house. It's going to be great. And that's when I was like, I don't know who this is, but I'll Google Adam McKay. <laughs> and you know, I didn't know five oh, years I ago. Go to this you... guy's house, yeah, fuck yeah. it, let's go. But I mean, did you guys five years ago? Did you guys know who Adam McKay was? No, but I've heard his name and I've watched his projects. So like, I've seen that. Like, you know, I would associate the name with something movies, right, or something TV shows. I just thought it was interesting that you didn't know who he was because I consider you smarter and more plugged in. What was your first impression of Adam McKay? So we went to his house. It was a beautiful house. And he was lying on the couch in kind of like sweats. I don't know if he was wearing basketball shorts or sweats. And he's just talking sports to me. He just wants to talk about talk sports and the Lakers. And and he was just cool and chill. And I left there thinking, there's no way this is going to happen because that's just my... There's a thing, you guys might not know this, like especially East Coast Jews, we are required by law, by biblical law, to always think the worst thing is going to happen. I might be an East like, Coast Jew. Yeah, as, right, as yeah. am I. We all have a little Jewish in us, and we're all required. Here we are. I, I was just always raised. My dad was always like, you know, never count on anything, never count on anything. So that's kind of me and my fallback. So I didn't believe it. Then I got one day, Jim's like, oh, HBO's going to do it. And I get contracts, and I'm like, all right. And I sign these contracts, and I still don't think they're going to do it. And then one day I read on a website that they cast, I think it was John C. Riley or Jason Clark or whoever. And people are emailing me, and they're like, this, wow, this is crazy. And I'm like, I don't know. And then... I think when they cast Sally Field, mm. that might have been the moment for me where I was like, "Whoa, holy shit, that's kind of bigger than I thought. And here we sit. Before you get into the casting, because I know you want to, I have two follow-ups. Was the big tomato incorporated into the meal? One. And two, did he was he lying on the couch as you entered his home? It's a great question. <laughs> I think we put out the wine drink, but did not put out the tomato. Okay. Because what are you going to... What are you going to put? Some basil, I guess. You put it out with some basil and maybe Olive a side oil, of salt. Yeah, but it's like, it's weird that someone bring. I think because it was Easter Sunday, my guess is, I've never confirmed this, is that he went through Grand Central Station in New York and maybe like two kiosks are open. And maybe the flower kiosk wasn't open or something. So he thought, what's better than flowers? A box, of, a block of chocolate and a tomato. That's really going to win him over. And it did. So. Okay. That's amazing. He came over on Easter. There's... And and then you walk in and McKay is is horizontal. Is that he a... opened the door? I think he opened the door and then went to his couch to lay down. And he's just totally chill, or is that a power move? I'm going to be horizontal. No, totally chill. Okay. Totally chill. Yeah. And That's if I so wanted cool. to, yeah, I should I should have countered by lying on his floor. Like <laughs> it's fucking leverage. Who's got it now? <laughs> well, no, I just think this is the most interesting part. Like from how much say-so do you have to 
Like, what are the biggest challenges of adapting something like this to to HBO or something like that? Well, the first question I have is, obviously we changed the name of the book because of HBO's uh, rival Showtime, yeah? Yeah, yes. What a mother, was the, they really wanted your book. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was known as the Showtime. It was known, like, the project was, like, the Showtime. I don't know what it was like the working project or showtime or, and, um, when I found out they were changing it, I was upset for about not mad or anything, just like disappointed for a couple minutes. And then you're like, eh, I mean, they're still making the show. It's still based on my book. I still get money. It's still cool. We got cameos in the show. Like it's hard to be overly upset over something like that. You're in, you're in the show too. Yeah. And my wife and my kids. You're interviewing, um, was it Michael Cooper or something? No, I am interviewing. I'm in the press. I'm with the commissioner at the time, Larry O'Brien, in his office. You you only see the back and side of my body, but it's all good. I even think because it's called Winning Time, then everyone says, based on the book Showtime by Jeff Perlman. So it might be a blessing in disguise. It kind of kind of works out. And plus, it's on HBO, not Showtime. And I don't even know what the fuck they're doing on Showtime now. No offense to those people, but uh, yeah, I'm an HBO guy, especially now. So you look at this adaptation. I think one of the most interesting parts is the sports element of it. Like, I hate football movies, but I hate them because they're corny. Now, if I ever looked closely, I would see that probably it didn't look like anybody had ever played football before. But I also know that, like, in my opinion, if I were trying to adapt something or do a sports movie, probably the sports action is most difficult in basketball. That's upon reflecting over the last day. Because baseball... They're a bunch of ISOs, like they're quick shots. Anybody can look like they're swinging a bat. You can make a bat noise and then pan to left field or a guy waiting to put the tag on somebody. In football, like most people can run and tackle. uh, But at basketball, it seems like there's probably extended action where people have to have real skills. And I know there was some training that went into like getting these actors, a lot of them not great basketball players, some adept to look right on the screen. Yeah, it's actually funny. I um, My wife always says I'm the worst audience for sports movies. And I think if there are two worst audiences, it's probably athletes number one and sports writers number two. <laughs> because you just see like the movie 42, just as an example, the Jackie Robinson movie, I, I can't watch it. Like I, it makes me angry to watch a movie like that. Or, huh? or Marshall. I just hate those movies. Yeah. And because you see every flaw and you know every storyline and you know. So this one's been interesting. Number one, they went hardcore boot camp with these guys. Like the guy who plays Michael Cooper, who's one of my favorite guys in this experience, is a guy named Delante D'Souza. And he's a guy from Maryland. He was a track and field runner in college. And I saw his audition tape with basketball. And it's it was bad. Like, it's bad. He was not a good <laughs> And now he's been two years under hardcore basketball training, and he can legitimately play basketball. Um, also, a lot of these guys are actually uh, our athletes. Like the guy who plays Kareem, Solomon Hughes, played center at Cal, then went on to play for the Globetrotters. Uh, Quincy Isaiah, who plays Magic, was a Division III uh, college football player. Even Delante was a track runner in college. Like, there are a lot of guys with basketball skills. And there's a football guy. There's a Cal guy, right? Because I saw your Zoom oh. that you posted. Jeff had a cool thing, if anybody check out his Instagram, where he talked to some of the actors that, did the, that, that were on uh, Winning Time. And, like, you were talking about Delante, who he couldn't even – was it him that – that was shooting left-handed or something yeah. like yes your your coach was like oh we got a problem like, he shows up and they didn't know he was lefty wrong hand <laughs> i mean you, you also have a cal former football player wide receiver playing somebody i thought all that stuff was very interesting like just not only can they play basketball 
And who's this coach? Adon something? He coached Steph Curry and a bunch of people. You had like a real deal coach coaching these guys up. Yeah, they definitely worked out. And the other thing is, obviously, they have a lot of doubles. So, like, there are scenes where Magic Johnson going to the hoop and dunking is in Quincy Isaiah. It was actually a basketball player who played at Mississippi Valley State, I think was his main uh, double. You know, and they do that a lot, which That's obviously you would do. Yeah, which you would do. So it looks very, very real. It's if, actually very authentic. If I'm Quincy, I'm like, fuck, I can't do this? Like, you need the double for this? Like, it's kind of insulting. Yeah. Like, Lower no. the rims. Yeah, right, exactly. Or like, it's a layup. We need the double. Yeah. Like, that's when you know you're bad. But I I just think it's so interesting. Would you agree that basketball is the toughest one, or do you think there's another sport that's tougher to adapt? I think it's – I think in any major sports movie, when a guy doesn't know how to play baseball or play a sport – it's painfully obvious. Like uh, Timothy Robbins in Bo Durham is really, you know, he does not look like a pitcher at all. Great the movie's movie. good enough that you get by it, great right? Movie. But yeah. Great movie, but brutally bad. You know, and they're like, if you see a guy swinging a bat who does not know how to swing a bat, yeah, it's horrible. So I just think, I don't think one sport is particularly harder. I just think if you you know if they were lazy. Like we, my son and I love watching the movie uh, just because it's so awful. Teen Wolf? You ever see Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox? I actually haven't. Count me in the unlucky few. You need to watch it because it's the worst. Michael J. Fox clearly has no athletic ability to speak of ever. <laughs> yeah. And watching it, it's just like, oh my God. So when it's bad, it's bad. And then this, it's really, really good, I think. I love the backstory with uh, Larry Bird, that character. Yeah. Tell us what yeah. happened with Larry Bird and kind of that casting process. Well, it's supposed to be Bo Bird was going to be Larry Bird. Yeah. And that was a that was a huge get. Another guy I'd never heard of by the way. Does that make me uh Bo Burnham? That, no, I'm yeah. looking him up right now, dude. I'm the worst with this. Looking at his face, no idea who he is. Yeah, I had no idea who he was either. And um could have been, been Larry Bird. Everyone texted me and was like, "They got Bo Burnham?" And I'm like, "Oh, you know like You know who Bur yeah. Burnham is? Yeah, he's an American comedian, Come actor, on, musician, singer and filmmaker." Yeah. Okay. Right. I didn't know who um Jason Clark was. Uh, Jason Clark. Wow, you guys are totally. Oh, my no, kids. I'm bad with the names. Jason Clark was in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Correct. He's the guy who's playing. He's playing Jerry West, and I think that's a great cast. I also think John C. Riley is a great cast. And I, at first, I think people are like funny guy being Jerry Buss, but it makes a lot of sense. The more you learn about Jerry Buss, like in your book, the first word that came to mind, it was like a different brand of billionaire than Jack Kent Cook, who was like seemed a little bit more maniacal like right. Jerry Buss was tacky in a yes. in an endearing way like in a late 70s way yeah and i feel like john c riley it's is tacky like and he tries to be tacky like that's part of his i i think so far from what i've seen it's been awesome but tell me about larry bird cuz i i interrupted you there oh no so um so sean you know he he when he saw the show was being made he was like oh larry bird because he He's a writer as well. And years ago, he optioned a book written by Seth Davis uh, when March went mad, which was about bird magic and their college rivalry. And he optioned it and he wanted to write and he wanted to play bird. And he always, and he studied bird and studied bird and studied bird for a totally different role. That's so good. So Bo Burnham drops out and they need a Larry Bird. It's actually crazy. And this guy, they call his agent calls him and he's basically like, I've been waiting for this part my whole life. And he's, I'm not just saying this ridiculously good. Yeah. Like I've seen, and I've seen the first season. I don't, there's no way Bo Burnham could have been better at Larry Bird than this guy. He's made to do this. He's so good. It's also really nice. The thing that's awesome. I, you touched on this. Like these guys are so freaking happy to be doing this. Like they are. It's like, 
like the guy Delonte I mentioned from Maryland. Like a year ago, he was flipping houses, and now he's starring in an HBO series. It's and there's one story after another after another after another of that. And when I see the commercial or the trailer, and it's like Sally Field and Quincy Isaiah mm. and Aaron Brody and Solomon Hughes. It's like a dream-making TV show, not just for me, like as a writer who's having this crazy thing happen, but for all these young actors, like, again, flipping houses on Tuesday, HBO series on a Wednesday. It's just awesome. It's cool. It's like an intersection of like, uh, you know, I've got this big resume and I'm acting next to somebody who who took a shot and ended up uh, landing the gig of a lifetime. It's like this every man and it could be Sally Field too. But I, I wonder about the height thing, right? Because like... That's something that actors do it all the time, like Tom Cruise. Oh, careful. Yeah, I know. Hey. John, who didn't like me talking about Tom Cruise? John Hamm's publicist. John Hamm's publicist did not like me talking about really? Tom Cruise. Wait, yeah. why? Well, because he apparently runs Hollywood. They're like, yeah, hey, that was great. Could we cut the Tom Cruise height thing? And that wasn't a thing that John participated in. Correct. That was all us. But out of respect for Tom Cruise, I'm not going to say how not tall he is but he's not tall and I've he wears it. like okay he said it he said the, the quiet part loud <laughs> so so tom cruise wears these like platform shoes i'm sure like if you're shorter like you want to be around and the angles have to be right and i'm sure you're now the reality is for the sake of like pat riley's tall and yep. adrian brody who i think is cast very well not just because he looks like him i think he'll do a really good job adrian brody was in succession recently uh Right, that's him. You got yeah, it. Yeah, um, and I thought he was fantastic at like big, big dicking Logan. So he's going to be perfect at being Pat Riley. Um, but he's not six six or whatever Pat Riley is. So like, how are these people? How do you play with the angles and how do you put people in the right places? Have you been privy to some of those conversations? All right. So just keep in mind, I'm just a writer, so I don't want to be like pretend I'm like the super Hollywood insider. But yeah. I can tell you. So the interesting thing is like Solomon Hughes, a guy playing Kareem, is actually 6'10", like a legit 6'10". Yeah. He played center at Cal. Yeah. But Quincy Isaiah, who plays Magic, is only 6'2"-ish, and Magic was 6'9". And part of Magic's, the whole thing about Magic is he's a big point guard entering the NBA. So I know one of the things they do is, and, and I was there, is he just wore these really high shoes at one point. Mm. So you wouldn't see the shoes, but you'd see the height. It would equal, kind of make the height disparity more manageable. But I just think also everything is relative. So if Pat Riley and Jason Siegel, I mean, excuse me, if Adrian Brody and Jason Siegel, who plays Paul Westhead, are the same height-ish uh, in real life, and they happen to be 6'1", but they're supposed to be 6'5 and 6'4", let's just say. It works. You wouldn't even notice the difference because yeah. they're the same height. So most of these guys, if two one basketball players are supposed to be 6'8", but they're both 6'1", it seems like everything is relative. You know? It's just so funny with um with with a sports thing like this, where you know everybody knows height, everybody knows like what position guys played. Like, there's another layer of this right. is like one of the most challenging things I could imagine doing. And it seems like you guys have stuck the landing. You being the one who who kind of birthed this project in your writing, but like the people that cast this thing, the whole thing. And I wonder when you pass that baton, how fucking scary is it? Because this is your baby. And now I assume a lot of the things we're talking about, you don't get a huge say in. Yeah, right. Uh, and I shouldn't. I kind of have this thing like uh, I never wanted to be the writer when this whole thing started, this ride began. Like I really, really, really didn't want to be the writer who's overhanging everything because I've, there are horror stories of the writer who overhangs. That happens and a lot, to, huh? And someone has to politely ask the writer to leave 
or like, listen, man, we really respect you, but you know, you kind of need, if you could just, you know, maybe come less. And I, <laughs> I know it, that, and it's not my profession. And I kind of view it as like, I really do. I wrote the book and now it's theirs. Like I wrote the book, I'm responsible for the book and they're responsible for this. Adam McKay and Jim Hecht and Max Bornstein and all the writers, like this is their thing now. And they've been gracious times a thousand. Like Kevin Messick, who works with Adam McKay, has sent me every script. They sent me every episode. They let us be in the show. I've been to set about five times. Um, they've asked me a lot of questions about just the authenticity of different things. I'll get calls from Jim or from Kevin saying, do you think this is right? Does this make sense? And to speak to the authenticity, that really blew my mind. There was a, um, there's a moment, and this is how big of a geek I am too. Like there was, I was watching an episode. I forgot what team it was, but it had, they were playing a team and they had all the bench guys wearing the warm-up jackets. And, and during this time period, most NBA warm-up jackets had their, the guy's name stitched into the back. Mm. And I was like, I watched this team walking off the court and I saw one name. I don't remember who it was anymore, but I saw one name and I was like, just being a nerd, I was like, I don't think that guy was on that team when this is taking place. And I looked it up on basketballreference.com and I was right. He wasn't on the team. I'm a loser. I am a total loser. And uh, I texted Kevin Messick and he's like, oh man, that's awesome. Thank you. That's really good. Good to know this stuff. Like they are so hyper vigilant about being right. Yeah. Uh, my wife is always blown away when they do the coin toss in the commissioner's office. Uh, when it's who's going to get the number one pick, the Bulls or the Lakers, to get Magic Johnson. How about that too? Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And he called heads. He yeah. went against the grain, called heads, and won. That's incredible to get Magic Johnson with a heads call. Do you, don't you think, though, I always think like in the Super Bowl, whenever they call tails, it winds up heads. I just think it's almost like which supermarket line do you pick, and you always pick the wrong line. I just feel like if you go against the grain and you're wrong, you're fucked. Here you go. If you call tails... Segway. Um, yeah. How much of a heads tails was it between Magic Johnson and Sidney Moncrief for that number one pick? That's interesting. So, um, I just want to say though, the coin, if you look at the coin, it says like 1977. Like they weren't going to use like a coin that says anything after 1979. They were just super hyper vigilant. Wow. Uh, yeah. Everything's like that. So Everything you feel is like good that. about that. You feel great about oh, that. Oh, they were like early, early on in the process. I got a call and someone was like, do you know? what the summer league uniforms look like. Do you have a picture of the summer league uniforms from 1979 when magic was there? Now they could have lazily made a summer league uniform and 99.999% of people would have no clue ever. They were hyper vigilant about making sure it's the exact uniform. And I found an old photo. They found out what material it was made of. They remade the jerseys. So when you see magic Johnson playing in the summer league for the Lakers in 1979, it is the Jersey exact replica of Magic Johnson from 1979. The, the basketballs, 1979 basketballs, recreated 100%. It's like hearing James Cameron talk about Titanic. It was like hyper vigilant. So, and I want you to answer this this question I about Moncrief too. Yeah, yeah. But Kareem has come out and said, and Kareem, like as described perfectly in the book, such an interesting character. So, like, understandably untrusting of people. Like, if you grew up like Kareem, you're not gonna trust people. You know, and an athlete anyways is kind of nervous when somebody's telling their story, right? I feel yeah. like though, if they knew you and they knew the detail, you know, and the importance of like the truthfulness of the accounts of what went down over this time period, Kareem might feel better than he does about winning time. Because I saw a quote where he's like, Showtime Lakers, that story should be told by people that, that live the Showtime Lakers. And of course, I'm sitting there reading the quote like, hey, Kareem, like that's kind of what's happening, right? Like Perlman didn't make up these accounts. 
Like yeah. these were told by people in the building. How do you feel like knowing your name's attached to it, but maybe they might have issues with it and they're people that you probably adore? The thing is, um, it's just, I, I, I have a distance between, like I wrote the book and I take full accountability for the book. Like the book is my thing. My name is on the cover. This is the book I wrote. The TV show is inspired by the book, right? I want it to be great. I think they did an, a tremendous job. But at the end of the day, early on, like, in fact, it's funny. When the movie We Are Marshall came out years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine about it, a screenwriter, because I hate that movie because it's about the Marshall plane crash and they just do all sorts of nonsense to it. And I was, I was actually mad. I was like, how do you, this disrespect where these people died? And he's like, you got to understand there's a difference between real life and a movie and they're going to make adjustments and they're going to make adaptations. And it's, and it is entertainment. Factually, it is entertainment. So for me, like if someone is upset because they have magic at a, like all right, Norm Nixon, the character of Norm Nixon, a former Laker point guard, he's played by his son in the show, which is amazing. Devon Nixon, Norm Nixon's son plays Norm Nixon. And there's a scene in the show where Norm Nixon is getting a pedicure. And Norm Nixon said one day, he's like, I never got a pedicure, right? But they were trying to show sort of the like style of Norm Nixon, like wearing a mink coat or whatever and getting a pedicure. And that's just the difference between a book and a movie and a TV show. Like you do things like that. And I'm very comfortable. Like that's just what it is. Mm. It's entertainment. So, and the thing about Kareem, can I tell you a quick Kareem story? Yeah, and I'll tell you one too. Kareem has the worst publicist I've ever seen in my life, ever. <laughs> Ever. She, it's ridiculous. And it's not a secret in the business how he's been mismanaged his whole career. And when I was working on my book, Showtime, I kept asking her, to, would, I want to talk to Cream. I want to talk to Cream. And she would always be like, no, no. What kind of money are you offering? No, no. The whole thing. I went to the Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremonies the year Jamal Wilkes, a former Laker, was getting inducted because I had arranged some time with Jamal. And I knew Kareem was going to be there. And I texted this woman, his publicist, whose name I won't use. And I said, um, I said, Hey, I'm here just in case. And she writes back and she goes, uh, she goes, Oh, I have amazing news for you. Can we meet? And I was like, yeah, this is great. He's going to talk to me. This is amazing. And she goes, all right, Jeff, amazing news. Kareem wants to partner with sports illustrated and do a roving display of his memorabilia. So like sports illustrated could sponsor it and we could have a truck and we could go around the country and Kareem. I had not worked for Sports Illustrated for 10 years. Also, <laughs> then I was like, your 1999 <laughs> thing where you slandered yeah, Howie Long, allegedly. Exactly. As the other writer. <laughs> it's just insane. And it, and this woman, Kareem is one of the smartest, most impressive. Oh, he's so fucking smart, dude. And he's been so mishandled. I just think he's been so mishandled. He should be an ambassador for athletes. He's... He's the most intelligent voice out there. Oh, I love his writing. I love his writing. Like usually when somebody weighs in, including myself on like a social issue, I'm like, shut the fuck up. But when Kareem, (laughs) when somebody writes a long, like, you know, like the length of Kyler Murray's agent's note today, like, you know, an op-ed, I don't want to say that all the time. I'm a little harsh because a lot of my peers have worked on social justice, but I'm just saying nobody holds a candle to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, not what he lived through, not the eloquence with which he speaks on the topics, not the way he's thoughtful. Like he is just the gold standard intellectually as, as a pro athlete to me. Now, the other side of that is what you describe in the book, which is that like he's prickly yeah. and I don't blame him. Like the, no. I, I was hurt for him hearing about, you know, like a kid in New York who grew up with trust issues because of racism, go figure. 
and his height and kind of like just the way people would look at him and that sort of thing. Like his high school coach at, uh, at, at Power Memorial was like the one white guy he confided in. It was like his, it, you know, it was like a, another family member and the guy at the half of like one of the bigger games of the season tries to challenge him and motivate him by calling him the N-word. Yeah. I mean, like, right. and that's the context. And when he gets to UCLA and doesn't want to talk to people necessarily because they don't give a fuck about him, the, the man, they care about him, the basketball player, people are throwing their hands up. Like, I don't get this uppity kid. Like, that's the context with which a lot of these athletes grew up. And especially like somebody like Kareem who was such an intellectual kind of outlier, I totally get it. And I met him at the ESPYs one year. And this is my Kareem story is like, my dad knew Kareem playing in LA and told me like he was a great guy. And so yeah. that's kind of my context, like walking up to Kareem. And I did not know about like the Kareem kind of like thing. You know, I'm living under a rock. I hadn't read one of your books yet. And um, I just was like, I said Mr. Abdul-Jabbar or something. Like, I don't know what you said. You like to shorten names. You sure you didn't go Reem? Reem. No, I didn't say Reem. <laughs> Big man. Um, yeah. That's the Matthew McConaughey rule. I called him Matt. Like, first, second, he came on the pod and he corrected <laughs> me. It's like a pick six the first drive of a football <laughs> game. Ended up being a, just a fine interview. But I stopped Mr. Abdul-Jabbar walking out, and I felt like this wasn't a bad area to do it. Like, we were kind of walk in the same direction. I was like, Hey, I'm a big fan of you. Like as a guy, man, I just want to say, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I was wondering, <laughs> I was wondering if I could get a picture I wouldn't oh, no. do this very often. And he kind of just looked at me and I was like, yep. I was like, my bad. Like I'm a pro athlete. <laughs> like I should know. And, and, um, like, uh, and he said, what's your name? And I said, Chris long. And when it clicked that I was Howie's son, his whole demeanor changed. He was so warm and oh, okay. so kind and so awesome and nice and stopped to talk to me for five minutes. Right. Everything's about trust with that guy. And I don't blame him one bit. Did you get the photo? I got the photo and I look fucking terrified. There's two pictures that I have that I will not share with very famous people. One's with Sandra Bullock, my childhood crush. Uh, and I looked mortified. And then that one with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, those are both in the private, it's a private, uh, private collection, but just such an interesting character. If I was writing, I would be nervous about him, but you seem to like, cause you've told the truth the whole time about the whole deal. But I also think the thing is like, um, like as a journalist and I've really come to embrace this as I've gotten older, it's very easy for all of us to be like, oh, that guy, he's such a dick, right? Oh, that guy's such a dick. Why are you such a dick? But the really intro, like early on in my career, I wrote this story about John Rocker, racist baseball player. That was kind of my big Sports Illustrated story. I read story. that one. The thing that sucks about it in hindsight is, to me, he was just a dick racist. And what's really interesting is, how does he, how did he become a dick racist? Like, how does someone become the person he is? And Kareem, like we just talked about, like, yeah, he's standoffish and he's hiding in a bathroom stall when they would fly in the airports and reading a book in the stall so no one approaches him. Yeah. That's the surface level. Wow, what a jerk. He's standoffish. He's telling kids he won't sign autographs. Well, how did he become that way? And then you look at his childhood and you look at the coach, you use the N-word on him and you look at these things. And that's really the joy of journalism is finding out these things. And as you become older and you do this more often, that's the stuff I really, I just love. And I feel like the brighter the athlete, the more resentment that athlete has towards people that just want to oversimplify who that person is. Of course, of course. Or they don't care, one or the other. They just don't care. 
Or they resent it. Or it irks the fuck out of them, which I think it did with Kareem. And then on the other side of the thing, you've got you've got Magic, who's just like, what you see is what you get. Like Correct. this story, there's two stories in your in your book that I loved, and I hope they make the show. And maybe you could tell me, but like the fish incident with Jack Kent Cook, where Jack, what kind of fish was this? Oh. Sand dabs. Sand dabs, which I didn't even, have you ever heard of a sand dab? No. Never did either. It's like a 70s rich Hollywood guy fish. Uh, But I guess magic came into town, right? And what, he was serving him sand dabs and what happened? It was negotiations and magic comes and they're having dinner at the forum and, um, or lunch. And Jack Kent Cook, who's the owner of the Redskins also, the then Redskins and also the Lakers and the LA Kings at that point. Um, serves sand dabs. He's very excited to serve sand dabs. And, you know, Magic is like this 20-year-old kid from Michigan, you know, hasn't seen that much, not coming from a lot of money. And he's poking at the fish. He's looking at the fish. He's lifting it up. And he's like, is there any way I could just get like a cheeseburger? And uh, it's like totally Jack, the best. And Jack Kent Cook is horrified, absolutely horrified. But he does get him a cheeseburger. And somebody said like Magic, you're the only person that could like big time Jack Kent Cook intentionally or unintentionally and then the story that made you just really like love a young magic johnson was him walking into the bus household for the first time and telling genie bus that he was going to finish his career with the pistons like he's not even thinking about like there's no tact there's no like i'm maneuvering or manipulating towards a goal like he's just magic johnson he just is happy to be there and he's going to tell you the truth is what he seemed like and juxtapose with a guy who became his mentor in Kareem, like two totally different people. Actually, my favorite moment from the, the entire book is one of the early, I think the first time Magic came to LA and he's driving and he has, he's someone's driving him and he asks the car to stop. There's a guy from Michigan, right? And he opens the car door and he gets out and he sees oranges growing on trees. And he's like, he picks one and he's like, you guys grow fruit on trees. That is insane. <laughs> I love that. And I got to say, having, I live, I moved to California seven years ago yeah. and I still take a walk and I still see oranges growing on trees. And number one, I think of that all the time and I pick oranges off of trees. Like I'm like, this is amazing. Like they grow oranges on trees. And I, lo- I feel like that represents him coming to miss coming to LA. And also honest to God with the show, like a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys have had their like, picking an orange off of a tree moment where it's like, holy crap, this is actually happening for me. Magic, Kareem, the players. I was really interested in kind of like the, the architects of this whole thing. And I had no idea about, um, is this Jack McKinney, right? Oh yeah. And you start the book with that. And it was old news for people that have read the book, but just catching up on the book, getting ready to watch the series and everything. Like I thought it was powerful and it was palpable. Like, Maybe your most somber interview? Oh, yeah. Um, Leading up to this project? So I still have a letter hanging in my office framed that I got from Jack McKinney, who died a couple years ago, uh, saying how much he enjoyed the book and blah, 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 blah. uh, So basically, most people, I don't think, I didn't know this going into the book. Um, Magic gets drafted, and the coach of the Lakers is a newly hired coach named Jack McKinney. And Jack McKinney had been an assistant in Portland to Jack Ramsey and they won the NBA championship. That was with Bill Walton yeah. and he's hired and he's like, you guys are moving too slow. This team is too slow. We have this young point guard. We have Norm Nixon playing aside and we have Jamal Wilkes. We need to run. So when you think about Showtime, the fast break offense and Pat Riley, the birth of that was really Jack McKinney and Jack, this is how crazy, this is crazy. The time period of it all. 
Jack McKinney, first of all, has one assistant coach, Paul West said, who he brought with him from Philadelphia. Because uh, Jack McKinney had been the coach at St. Joe's and Paul West said had been the coach at uh, LaSalle. So that's how they knew each other. And one day early in the season, I think 14 or 13 games in, they have an off day. And Paul Westhead says, why don't we go play tennis? Let's meet and play tennis. Okay. Jack McKinney gets on his bike, doesn't wear a helmet, is riding to his assistant coach's house to play tennis, stops short, flips over the handlebars, and lands on his head. He's the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. He's brought to the hospital as a John Doe. Nobody knows who he is. And he's in the hospital. Basically, he has these really, you know, he has this major brain injury and he can't coach that to the rest of the season. And Paul Westhead takes over. That's how Pat Riley becomes an assistant coach because he was in the broadcast booth with Chick Hearn. He becomes an assistant coach. The Lakers win the NBA championship with Paul Westhead. The presumption is Jack McKinney will come back. He's never brought back. And um, the rest is history. And the thing that, like, I love Jack McKinney and I love his family and I still keep in touch with them and they're just great. And uh, there's a really sad scene. McKinney got another coaching job, two other coaching jobs with the Pacers and then the Kings. And a, a couple of times he would have these moments where he, he wasn't, he was never 100% recovered, where he would either forget players' names or someone told me with the Kings, they put the, their names in tape on the front of their shorts so he'd remember their names. Oh. Here's this race, and he ended up working in his sporting goods as a sporting goods sales for most of his career. This is a lovely man. And when I interviewed him, his memory was not very good. And it was really hard and sad. And I had this folder with me of clips about him that I put in front of him to show him. And I remember at one point I was like, Do you remember Spencer Haywood? And he was like, Did I coach him? And I was like, Yeah, you did. And it was just sad, but a lovely man. Like, lovely. yeah, but I mean, like, you know, uh, the ultimate, and it's not like one of those sad for the franchise what might have been because everything worked out but you know with his background i mean even the saint joe's firing he seemed kind of like just a guy with bad luck yeah and pride and decency and kindness and a good person like legitimately and the funny thing is speaking of maybe not kind of a 180 the coach they originally hired before him was jerry tarkanian from unlv which is insane and he took the job and he was going to be the highest paid coach in the nba and right after he accepted the job, his agent was found dead in a trunk. And then uh, Tarkanian decided in the midst of the upheaval and the tragedy, this was a very close friend, he would stay at UNLV. So he stayed at UNLV. But Tarkanian almost became the coach of the Lakers. That would not have been a good marriage. And you can't speculate, I mean, professionally, but I can. It sounds like Tark's buddy got hit by the mob. Correct. It does. I can speculate. I agree with you. But I, I mean, like, speculate. just crazy. This stuff is a real life kind of turn of events. And all this happens around a franchise changing hands. And at that time, like, it's not the Lakers. It's not the same franchise. You had Jack Kent Cook, who, as I mentioned earlier, like, read like a fucking just a, an asshole and a yeah, cowboy right. in a lot of ways. And, you know, and then enter Jerry Buss. And kind of like in all this, they decide to draft Magic Johnson, right? So, what happens there? And as Macon alluded to, how close was it? Sidney Moncrief and the and the proposition even of a six foot nine point guard. Will yeah. that work? It's really fascinating. So um Sidney Moncrief, first of all, was a really, really good player and had a great NBA career. I mean, if you look him up, he's no joke. He was an all-star and he was a great player. And um Jerry West really wanted to take Sidney Moncrief because he thought we already have a point guard, Norm Nixon, who's really good. And he was really good. I mean, Jerry West's concern was that Magic Johnson was a high dribbler. He was a six foot nine ball. And how is this going to work with all these little point guards? And there was a fight. Who are we going to take? Who are we going to take? Jerry Buss, who was about to buy the team, really had say over who they were going to draft. 
And you just saw this guy and saw the smile and the pizzazz and the Sports Illustrated cover. He was just coming off beating Larry Bird in Indiana State for the NCAA title. He was a national name. And he was very insistent that this is a guy. And the funny thing is, if they drafted uh, Sidney Moncrief, they still would have been freaking really good yeah. and could have gone on a major run. They really could have. Like Moncrief, Norm Nixon as your backcourt with Kareem as your center and Jamal Wilkes at small forward is a really good basketball team. It's just incredible. And then, you know, like Jerry West, who's made so many great moves, wanted option B and option A, obviously the rest is history. I Jerry West seems to be cast very well. I'm wondering if the Jerry West folklore of him not watching the games is true. Is that that's a real thing? Yeah, there are two guys I've covered, him and uh, Billy Bean with the Oakland A's, who struggled to watch their team play. And they would walk around the stadium or drive around. It's not like every time, like there were times they watched it, but they really, I don't know if you're like this, Chris, actually, when you played, like a lot of guys, I, th- I think are, the sting of a loss is much harder, is much lower than the high of a win is I can high. I identify with that. And I think that's Jerry West. Like the sting of a loss was much greater than the euphoria. And he's one of those guys, as soon as you win, it's like, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? That was actually, I wrote a biography of Walter Payton. And I always think of that, like Walter Payton wins the Super Bowl and he's not happy at all. He's actually devastated. And everyone's like, so how do you feel? You know, like, I think this is something we never talk about in sports, right? How do you feel? How do you feel? You just reach your goal. You just reach your goal. And it's like, I don't, I, you know, how, how am I supposed to feel? You know? And I think that's a thing. Isn't that a thing? I think it depends on where and when in your career you achieve success. I mean, like, I think there is an inherent like dissatisfaction with, hey, the result in any great athlete, like you have to, you can't be satisfied. So I think that probably for Jerry West, it was probably exhausting to be around him at times because he didn't seem happy with the results when things were going well. Um, But I think that's probably part of what makes him or Walter Payton great or any of those guys. So I think it's a a mixed bag. I think there's also like you get there and you do it and you don't, take it in and then a year or two later you wake up and you realize it's gone. Like if you don't truly soak it in because it happens so fast. Wait, I just want to say something. And I've never said this to an athlete and I'm fascinated by this. I think one of the great mistakes athletes I've covered make is when they say, they'll be like, can you enjoy this now? And they'll say, well, I'll enjoy it when I retire. Like I'll enjoy it when I look back. That's bullshit. And I'm always like, you need to enjoy the moment because these things are so fleeting. I'm enjoying it. I'm yeah, enjoying it. When, where you played where I played for a long time, I say this all the time on this pod, then you you really enjoy the thing. Those are kind of the characters. We left out Pat Riley talking about, I mean, like everybody's heard the clips about Pat Riley by now or seen the excerpts of him making coaches, assistant coaches by Suburbans that were different colors and shit like that. We had your guy Chris Herring on to talk oh, about yeah. Blood in the Garden. And just some of those Pat Riley stories were incredible. How do you think he's going to be portrayed? And is he going to like his portrayal? I think very much, actually. Okay. I do. I do. He, uh, first of all, Adrian Brody's great, obviously. And um, it's a sad, I mean, it's interesting because he was a very, he was one of those guys who was like very ambitious. Yeah. And especially once it got going, he was very ambitious. And I do think it's fair to say that he was, when he was the assistant coach to Paul Westhead, you know, he knew he was, he knew more about basketball than Paul Westhead. Like he just knew he was a better coach than Did Paul Westhead. Did he get Paul Westhead fired in a sense because he was magic guy? Did. No, but, magic got him. Yeah, but like magic and was there no? There was no like, hey, Pat Riley feeding magic, like gassing him up to get him fired. 
I wouldn't, I would say no, not okay. really. But I would say that Pat Riley knew he was a better coach than Paul West said. And Pat Riley was correct. So it's hard to, yeah, but it's hard I, to argue. I wouldn't say he was a super loyal soldier. I wouldn't say he was undermining him, but he knew he was just ambitious. He knew he would be really good at this. And he freaking was really good at this, is really good at this. Great at it. Is there somebody that's not going to like their portrayal if you had to guess? I mean, I know. So the one thing about this show that, uh, I've had a really good relationship with Jeannie Buss through the years. And she, I was a adjunct professor at a school down here called Chapman. Twice, Jeannie Buss drove to Orange County to speak to my class. Like, for no, with like 20 students in the class. Yeah. The last time, came with tickets to give to the students as like giveaways for like, we do content. Like, one of my favorite people of all time. And I know she's not feeling this. Like, she's definitely worried about it. And she's worried how her dad is going to be portrayed, I'm certain. Yeah. Which I understand. There's a reality to this, which is Jerry Buss was kind of a dog with women. I mean, it's just it's just a fact. He also was a genius and a basketball genius. And I think this the show leans heavy on the basketball genius, but it doesn't ignore his role with women. Um, and I think she'll see that and be a little there are moments she'll be upset by that, you know? Yeah, I think probably, which I get it, but it's a it's a very, very fair portrayal. Like a very fair portrayal. Well, it's funny in your book, like you know, you can see where it's going. This guy's an absolute, like, just party animal, and he's starting to fit the bill of, like, a million other owners that I've... But then, he like, it it takes a turn for the really type A and interesting, like, where he goes and he goes to, I think, uh, Wyoming or something, and he's, like, a 4-0 student. He, he never gets a, a questioning correct for, like, two years. He's so type A and driven and motivated, and he's bored with uniformity. Like, he, he grows into this very interesting character. So I'm Looking forward to seeing how they kind of walk that line with the show. And the modern NBA, the NBA you see today is really his vision. I'm not just saying that. Like, he shows up, you go to a basketball game to watch basketball. That's what it was. And the what's crazy is the 1980 NBA Finals was shown on tape delay. Yeah. It was Magic, Kareem versus Dr. J, and it's tape delay. It's insane. It's fucking nuts. And, um, yeah, it's crazy. And so he was the one who brought in the Laker girls. He's the one who brought in, you know, the piped in music. He's the one who brought in the Forum Club, which was a basically Studio 54 inside the Forum. He he gave celebrities courtside tickets. Like, he was the vision of what you see today. His vision was it. All right, well, we had a Jerry West question. We're going to do in a little bit, like, uh, the worst logos in pro sports. Don't worry. Delaware is safe. Um, <laughs> but the Yeah, but the logo... The logo of the uh, the NBA is Jerry West, right? So a year ago we talked about, and you know, I'm asking because when Kobe passed, your book came out, Three Ring Circus, one that I've also um, enjoyed. And there was a lot of talk about making Kobe the logo, making other players the logo. Like where do you land on Jerry West being the logo? I love Jerry West's logo. You don't think change it at all? I think it's a really cool looking logo. Yeah, I do. I think if you were to change it, you know, much respect to Kobe and the legacy of Kobe. I think it would have to be Jordan. Yes. Right. No question. And so here's a guy who wrote a book about Kobe. And I, I wonder, you know, with, with the passing of Kobe, like you've talked about this before, you've kind of talked about the pressures of trying to figure out when to release that book. Cause he, he died like right when the, the book was supposed to come out basically right around then a couple of months, a couple of months, couple of months which you're just yeah. like, What's your first reaction? Your first reaction is obviously sadness, but like from a business standpoint, are you thinking, hey, delay this thing? I can't do this right now. Did anybody prominent lean on you to tell you like, don't do this, man? Like, were you 
Like, did anybody try to intimidate you into like, hey, hold this book? No, but there was talk with the publisher. So the one thing I wasn't going to do was move it up. Yeah. Like, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to go out of my way to take advantage of someone's death right. to sell books, you know, like, so that was a big no. There was some talk about pushing it. It came out, actually it came out eight months after he died. So there was a gap actually. I just, nobody was like, don't do it. The thing I was terrified about, like terrified about was the blowback. Um, when I wrote the Walter Payton book, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. The book came out, he'd been dead for several years, but like there was an excerpt that came out in Sports Illustrated about three weeks before the book was coming out. And it was all about the end of his life, which was a lot of depression, um, infidelity, et cetera. He just had a really dark end of his life. And that came out before the book came out. And I just got destroyed, like destroyed, destroyed. Like I was supposed to go to Chicago and my publishing company would not send me to Chicago because they were afraid that someone would throw a brick in my head. They probably would. That's a place, yeah, they don't fuck around about their Walter no. Payton. And the book, when the book came out, I actually got a lot of apologies. Like there was a book burning on a radio station. They did a book burning. The book comes out, finally comes out, and I got just a ton of apologies. I really did. Like, oh, you know, I read the book. It's not what we thought it was going to be because it really was an homage to Walter Payton. Um, so I was terrified of having that part two with this because the book isn't kind of Kobe. It's not, it's not a deliberate, I mean, you read it. It's not a, a slam job of Kobe, but it's an honest look at Kobe and sort young of young Kobe. Yeah. A young Kobe and included Colorado and the whole alleged sexual assault situation. And I was really nervous about it, like really nervous about it. And it ended up being almost nothing probably at most 10 negative comments on Twitter, which as we've discussed in private is nonsense anyway. Yeah. Well, people don't, it's like the, it's like out of context. It's like, Hey, I've been working on this book for a long time. Like simpleton sees a book come out and they're like, Oh, this is opportunistic. Right. You know, it's right. like, man, I've been fucking grinding on this. Like, what am I supposed to do? Set it on fire? Like the guy in Chicago, by the way, how do you burn a book on the radio? Like that doesn't I did it on YouTube well. as well. Okay, I did then, on YouTube. Okay, then actually it's kind of tight. <laughs> 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 um, it's hard doing what you've you've done. You've done the Barry Bonds biography, and from what I understand, he didn't want it out, obviously, because no biography about Barry Bonds is going to be positive, right? He was never a jerk about it. Okay, and I did go up to him in the. I covered him for a long time at at Sports Illustrated, and. He was horrible to cover. He's the worst athlete I've ever had to cover in my life, like with no close second, like the worst. Pick the worst athlete you've ever been around, multiply it by seven. Tennis yeah, making, go. high school tennis yeah. making. Uh, you know, I have, I have horror stories about those high school tennis days. <laughs> uh, I'm still bitter about you blowing me off after that. Um, <laughs> Bonds was the worst, but I did go up to him. It was actually funny. I went up to him at his locker and I was like, hey, Barry, I just wanted to let you know I'm writing, I'm doing this book. I'd written him a letter already or something to his agent. And um, I just want to give you a chance if you want to talk. And he sticks out his hand and he goes, um, you know what, dude, I appreciate you coming up to me, but I'm going to pass. I said, all right, that's cool. And he's walking away. And I said, just so you know, I interviewed this person and that person. And I even talked to you, uh, I forgot her name, but your Cub Scout den mother. And he goes, <laughs> dude, I was never even in the Cub Scouts. And he walks away. I literally have a picture of Barry Bonds in the Cub Scouts at his Cub Scout like Denver. <laughs> that was the weirdness of that guy. Like for the whole clubhouse to hear, dude, I was never even in the Cub Scouts. I know you were in the Cub Scouts. I literally know you were in the Cub Scouts. Why? <laughs> and wait, this was saying, this is crazy. This is how crazy Bonds was. There's was another story where um, I interviewed a guy, Jose Rodiles, who pitched with him at Arizona State. And um, I went up to Bonds, that same thing. 
I was like, uh, I was like, talk to this person. And I talked to Jose Rodiles and he goes, I don't know who that is. <laughs> you just keep, and, this is a good show. You continuing to approach Barry Bonds. Yeah, right. He's, telling you he's I, never heard of what you speak of. He goes, he goes, I don't know who that is. I went back. I called Jose Rodiles and I go, Barry doesn't say this says he doesn't know who you are. He goes, doesn't know who I am. The guy was in my fucking wedding. <laughs> Does he think that like pleading the fifth to a writer is like effectively protection? I think he enjoys making our lives miserable or did. I really do. It was a sport to him. So you write that book. He doesn't yeah. like, I didn't even know this was a term unauthorized biography. Is that like a dirty word? In a way. I mean, I don't view it that way, but so like, you, it's you, what is an unauthorized biography? It means I decide I'm going to write a biography of someone and I always go up to them and I try to interview them and I just view it. It's kind of, it's no different than writing a biography of Donald Trump or Bill Clinton yeah. or whoever, like figures who you consider hugely important in my world of sports. Like I wrote a Brett Favre biography is a perfect example. I, which is crazy. Cause I got Brett Favre's mother, Brett Favre's sister, two of Brett Favre's brothers, cousins, uncles, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't get Brett Favre. Yeah. He didn't talk. Everyone else in his family, his mom sent me home with scrapbooks. Yeah. But he didn't talk. That's an unauthorized biography. And it's not a slam job. I think unauthorized comes with like, you're trying to slam someone. Right. I'm not. I'm trying to tell the story of a historic figure in the area I cover. It's not a co-signed biography by the Correct. subject. He's the not making money. like, I'm it. staying out of it. Like, um, Bo, you got a Bo biography. Like, I would imagine Bo's not an easy guy to track down. I think we've talked so about I, I mean, Bo, I, true story. Well, the book's coming out in October. I sent him early on a couple of my books and a letter. Is, my name is Jeff Perlman. I grew up a huge admirer of yours. I love your autobiography. I would love to write this. I feel like you deserve, and this is the 100% motivation. People deserve to know about this story, about who you were and your impact on sports, blah, blah, blah. Whatever I send the letter. And I'm on the phone one day with my mom a couple of weeks after, and I get this call on my cell phone, caller ID blocked. And I'm like, I bet this is Bo Jackson, because I just sent the letter maybe a week early. I pick up the phone, and it's like, Mr. Perlman. And I recognize the voice immediately. He's like, this is Bo Jackson. And I'm like, hey, Bo. And the thing is, we talked for 40 minutes, and he was lovely. But he's like, I don't have a problem with you writing this book, but I'm not going to help you with it. And I was like, all right, man. He said... He actually said to me, I always promised Jeremy Shap because he did his autobiography with Dick Shap, Jeremy's dad. And he said, I always promised Jeremy Shap if I was going to do a book, I would do it with Jeremy. I promised his dad. If I was ever going to do a book, another book, it would be with Jeremy. Everything is, I'm very good friends with Jeremy. He's one of my favorite people in media. And I told him about it and he was like, I don't know. So, um, so <laughs> I was like, right. Bo Jackson. <laughs> yeah, what? Who's that? Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I go about. When people ask, I say, I talked to Bo and I don't say I interviewed him. But I say, right. I talked to Bo. He said, he's fine. You know, he's fine. He's not going to help me, but he's fine with me writing it. And he knows I'm writing it and that's it. And you go about your way and you do it. That That's interesting. Cause there's some people who are more like, Hey, I, I'm just not going to help you. It's not a big deal, but I'm not going to help you. And there's some people who are like, I'd rather you not write this at all. Like, I don't know the guy in my wedding. I wasn't a Cub Scout. There's like a sure. range of like challenges and hurdles when it comes to you know, and I get it. Like I totally 1 million percent. You're Bo Jackson. You don't know me. You can Google me and you can see my books, but you don't know me. And it's like, wait, so you're going to do a book about me? Yes. Do I get any say in it? No. Yes. Do I get any money off of it? No. So yeah. what's my motivation? And I always say like, if you're Bo Jackson, the, I'm not saying you should talk to me or not, but like you deserve to have a definitive biography about you. Like you, 
your career is that substantial and your life is that substantial. And like, I just view him as a historic figure in the same way someone would view Lyndon Johnson as a historic figure and worth writing and worth chronicling. And that's how we remember things. And I just view, I just take that job very seriously. Did you know LBJ had a, right. had a huge, All right. no, he knows this. He reads, he had a huge unit. They, he called it uh, jumbo. We just read this last week. Are you into presidential biographies? Well, Robert Caro wrote an amazing Lyndon Johnson biography. I freaking read it and loved it. But I don't remember that he had a big He penis. left his unit out. Jeff, we have an ace production team here at Greenlight, and while we don't really know what the verb option means, we would like to option the Bo Jackson story. Um, should you <laughs> cool. agree, we've got 60-year-old Howie Long to play 30-year-old Howie Long. Uh, that's as far as we've gotten. And if if you would like to agree right here, we can... Uh, 60-year-old Howie Long could play 30-year-old yeah, Howie Long. Good. We can discuss I, terms. Neck up. I want uh, I want the Steve Gleason jersey and maybe the basketball. There I we mean. go. Deal. No, I can't give you the Steve Gleason jersey. <laughs> All right. So a couple grab bags before we get you out of here. I was listening to Rosillo and Simmons uh, a while back when you did talk about Three Ring Circus. And I came on your pod uh, and we were talking about like kind of media and athlete. I don't know. How would you frame the topic of that pod? Like courtesy or relationship practices between media and and athletes so the jr Ryder story made me realize and you told the story you told it great on the rosillo uh pod but basically you had to track him down and so you go to his door and we never (laughs) talked about the knocking on the door strategy but you probably have had to do that a lot through your career and i would have reacted exactly how jr Ryder reacted i would have said dude what the fuck are you doing you don't just knock on people's doors are you kidding me? And then I would have said, call me later if I thought you were cool and you're actually a good writer, which is exactly how it played out with J.R. Ryder. So tip of the cap to J.R. Ryder. And then talk to me about like, how do you decide, hey, I got to go knock on this guy's door, not call somebody and deal with that bullshit. All right. So number one, um, I have a weird love of knocking on doors. It's weird <laughs> because I love, hate it. I always compare it to being on a flight with really bad turbulence. And you're like, this will probably work out, right? Like this will probably work out. And I would say in my career, I'm, I'm probably about 10 for 10 on door knocks. Really? Like I, I have a very high success only rate. 10. Yeah. I haven't done a million. Cause it's, it's not every day you need to knock on a door. And what's your knock style? And that style is a very gentle two tap two yeah. or doorbell. This was a big, yeah. Topic. We talked about this a year ago. Yeah. You're a three. I'm, I'm a, a three two. knock guy. Yeah. Knock, knock, I knock. mean, three, I don't think three is wrong. Maybe it would even help. All more. I'm saying is knock, knock sounds like somebody's coming with a silencer. You know what I mean? Like knock, knock is like sketchy. You might want to go three. They don't call it a knock, knock, knock joke. Okay. Whatever. Pal. Yeah, that's fair. So, um, so, so 10 of them, JR Ryder, a lot of doors. His I've reaction was kind of like, Hey man, Friendly enough, no, but fuck no. Oh, first a kid answered the door. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I had a book with me. I had a copy of my USFL book. You always have you always have to have something with you, right? Guy's a Mormon like or a traveling, <laughs> traveling not a Bible. church you don't of wear like Saints a, guy. You don't want to wear a white shirt with a black tie and a name tag. <laughs> this is I'm a biographer. <laughs> Wrote this um, book about God, allegedly. A kid answers the door, little kid. And I'm like, hey, is JR here? And he closes his door, a woman comes up. Hey, I'm looking for J.R. Ryder. My name is Jeff Perlman Ryder. Hold on one second. And I hear these two people yelling behind the door. Like, who's the... Blah, 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 and I'm like, oh, no. And J.R. Ryder comes out. And it's clearly J.R. Ryder. And the thing is, I didn't... I had an address for him. I just didn't have a phone number for him. And he kind of went ghost on people. Like, he wasn't easy to find. 
So, cause these days I like texting someone first. Yeah. It's just easy and it's a little wimpy, but it actually works. I'm knocking on your door today. Not today. I'm knocking on your door. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right, right. Be ready, Be ready motherfucker. There. <laughs> Be there in 10. Um, so I knock on the, oh, so J.R. Ryder comes and he's like, it's J.R. Ryder. You know, he's a big guy and he's kind of puffed out. He's like, who are you? And I'm like, Hey, my name is Jeff Perlman. I'm working on a book about the Lakers, blah, blah. He goes, nah, man. Nah, no, no, no. Wait, what? You fucking come? Fuck. Wait, you fucking come to my front door? Are you fucking kidding me? Also, I should mention it was like nine thirty in the morning. It was nine thirty. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking there. It was like nine thirty a.m. He's like, bro, no, man, no. And he opens the door. He's coming out. He's like, man, no. And I'm like, he's like, what's that book you got? Then he goes, what's that book you got? Oh, it's a book I wrote about the USFL. Is that the Trump League? I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, you can't just sh you just show up. What? What are you? What are you working on? I'm like, oh, I'm writing a book about the Shaq Kobe Lakers. He's like, oh man, that's a good subject. <laughs> you just show up though. That's I get. It's a good subject though, man. And uh, we end up talking. I love Jr. Ryder from this conversation alone, oh, and yeah. the one you told about his his sweatsuits and the dry. I love dogs. him. Oh yeah, yeah. He's about. I just want to say I had. Just because it's the real quick, the subject of door knock. A few years ago, I did an article for Bleach Report when they used to be uh, used to run journalism about um, <laughs> NBA player. All right, that was a dig, but sorry, uh, but it's true. Um, there was a basketball player for the Pelicans named Bryce DeJean Drew, who was shot to death in Dallas, and he was shot. It's a crazy, crazy story, but he basically um, he thought he was entering his girlfriend's apartment, and he was one floor below, and he's the girlfriend he thought had locked him out and he's slamming on the door and he gets in the, he breaks in the front door and then there's another door that's locked and he's slamming on the door and he thinks it's his girlfriend's apartment, but it's not his girlfriend's apartment. And the guy behind the door has a gun and shot him to death. Mm. It's a crazy story. Yeah. I tracked down the guy who shot him, but again, I didn't have a phone number. I just had an address and I'm knocking on his door to talk to him. And this is literally a guy who shot someone to death through a door. And before I did that, I did text my wife and I was like, just so you know, this is exactly where I am. Um, blah, 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 blah. Dark, and that guy ended up talking too. Dark comment, but he didn't shoot somebody for knocking, to be fair. So, oh, no, no, know, no, like, no. Was he pleasant yeah. enough when you, I mean, like, is that Wonderful. the scariest door knock you've ever had? Easily, easily, easily. And I left a book. I left my Brett Favre book. Oh, he didn't answer. First of all, I had to break into his apartment complex, like sneak in through stuff. Okay, well, they, uh, go. Oh, dude. <laughs> Not break in. Damn, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff's this like, well, I had to repel into his wait. living room. <laughs> break in is, is strong. I just mean like you wait for the car to go through. Yes. You wait for it coming over. And, and this is what you do. Like sometimes in investigative work, like you actually, you have to knock on doors. That is do. so good. And sketch. But is it creepy? Do you, are you looking at me now like I'm some creep? No, 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 no. I, you're you're a friend, and we did a whole podcast on this. So I would I'd be honest with you. I go, That's the one thing me and Jeff don't see eye to eye on. If Jeff knocks on my door, how do you think I answer? Country clubs down that way. Yeah, exactly. Motherfuckers just roll up thinking I'm the country club. I'm not the country club. It's a private residence. Yeah. No, I'm writing a book on the St. Louis Rams, 2011. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking it's a children's book about not giving up. Jeff, um, or, or maybe giving up, or, or giving up, and some of the, you know, there's some draws to that too. I, I was so interested in you going to see Phil Jackson. Where did you see Phil Jackson? Because Phil Jackson had a house on Flathead Lake in Montana. We are on Flathead Lake in Montana. 
Steve Kerr. I met him on Flathead Lake. And then Frank Burkowski, who you talked to Ooh. as well, who yeah. I talked to yesterday on the phone. He is a is a dear friend of my dad's, and uh, for better or for worse, and uh, they're all at Flathead Lake. So, did you go to see Phil at Flathead or somewhere else? It was um, it was a town nearby, but then he gave me a tour of Flathead, and I have to say that was Jeannie Jeannie Butts, who again, my favorite owner in any sports. I didn't know how to get in touch with Phil Jackson working on that book, and I emailed her asking if she had any like advice, and she reached out for me, yeah. and. I flew out to Montana. He said he would give me, okay, come out to Montana. And I met him at a coffee shop and he shows up and I thought it was going to be an hour. If I got an hour with Phil Jackson, great. Ended up being like, you won, you made the hundred thousand dollar bid to spend a day with Phil Jackson. Right. Like you won the contest. He's basically driving me around. He's like, let's get lunch. We get lunch. He showed me the sites. You want to get dinner later? Why don't you come back to my house? Well, come back to my house. There's like a cat at his house climbing on top of me. Like it was... <laughs> Wonderful. What a cool like, one day. Of the best days of my life. And Montana's yeah. beautiful. What time of year was that? Gorgeous. It was uh, summer. Perfect. You know, like all this stuff. I'm so excited to see winning time. And, uh, you know, I'm loving reading Showtime. And, like, it seems so simple reading it. And you mentioned the Mets earlier. Like, as a parting shot here, anybody that's listening that can make a movie, can we do the Mets movie? I don't know it, why that wouldn't work. Like, is like. I know it fell through, but why wouldn't the 86 Mets work as a series? Like, why wouldn't so, it? Play devil's think, advocate. Yeah, no. I, I think back in the day when all this was going on, the Mets have always had, have always had a weird relationship with that 86 team. I think they viewed them in large ways as an embarrassment and a little bit of a failure, even though they won that World Series, because of the drug abuse. Uh, guys like Dykstra, Lenny Dykstra, are a little difficult. You know, there are different characters. And I think for a long time, the Mets, shamefully, actually, kept their distance from those players and that team. Right. I think that's changed with new ownership and sort of a turnover over the years. And I think I agree with you. And not even just because I wrote the book, forget the book. Like that team was just magical and one of a kind. And they drank and they partied and they went out and they were part of the city in New York at that time. It was just grimy and disgusting. And Times Square was like Hooker and Coke Central. And uh, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Do that one. We're uh, as a, parting question we're talking to you from central virginia take you back 23 years do you recall the top three athletes you ranked from the state of virginia if you indeed had the back half of the alphabet as you say in the si piece shit virginia was ralph sampson is he from ralph sampson number eight he was on your list vastly overlooked player by the way um i don't recall arthur ash one mm. yeah so would be probably still would be lawrence yep. taylor two Bruce Smith's got to be up there. Four. Okay. AI's got to be oh, up there. Not in 99. But he wasn't at that point. He oh, in 99. Yeah. Number three. Didn't we have a secretariat? No oh shit. Yeah. They put a what? horse. Well, Jeff, you're talking Jeff, to you, him. Why a horse, Jeff? This is a lot. <laughs> Never mind. He's just not leaving. <laughs> Wait, right now, I think it's got to be Iverson, right? Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Was Big O, is Oscar Robertson from uh, Virginia? Not to my knowledge. Petersburg? Who Don't we have a, an NBA legend from Petersburg? I feel like there's a sneaky NBA Moses, legend. Moses Malone. Moses Malone is from... Uh, Moses would be top 10. Yep. David Robinson, sure. top 10. Oh. But Secretariat at three. <laughs> I think... Wait. I will say at that time, Sports Illustrated was definitely... It was a stiff place to work in many ways. And there were many editors who were kind of old school horse racing Princeton. I guarantee you, it was not my idea to put Secretariat at number three from Virginia. I mean, I didn't even know I the fucking horse was from Virginia. I, who knew? Who thinks that way? 
No one. No, <laughs> no one. Not even Jeff Perlman. Who put it. No. All right, that's perfect. Jeff Perlman, of course, you could, you could check him out at Two Writers Sling and Yang, which I learned is conversation, takes, yeah. conversation. Um, and you're obviously going to see winning time coming up. Uh, what's the date on that? The 6th? 6th uh, of March. Yeah, March 6th. I'm March 6th. hyped. Are you going to be a watch party or something? Well, I'm going to the premiere with my kids in two days. Which oh, is nice. so cool. Wait, not joking. I thought I was going to be late for this podcast because I had to get my a suit dry cleaned yeah. and you know, sports writers never do that. Yeah. So this is you know, yeah. podcasters either. Yeah. Hey Jeff, appreciate the time, man. Really looking oh, forward so to much. it. And, um, and congrats on the success, man. Jeff's one of the best, man. It's really great to see you, uh, you, you get this show, uh, with your name on it. You deserve it, man. Thank you both so much. I really yeah, appreciate it. Great talking right. to you. Thanks. I started taking athletic greens because I wanted to see what all the hype was about with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. And it tastes great. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It kinda has a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. I recommend it to the whole Greenlight crew, especially Cowboy Reed. And now, everybody's feeling spry. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Athletic Greens is also a climate neutral certified company. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash greenlight. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash greenlight to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So speaking of uh, novels, did you see the novel that uh, Kyler Murray's agent wrote? I did. And, and Greenlight had uh, the best tweet I've seen. Oh, yeah, the meme of, yeah. sorry that happened to you, or congratulations. Exactly. Like, I'm not reading I have that. not read a word of it. Coincidentally, I read that, and, and that that's something that his agent didn't do, because he misspelled chooses. Mm. Chose, 1-0, chooses. Chooses. But the bottom line is, it's bold. I actually think it's unwise because the court of public opinion is always like 100% on this stuff. Player asked for his money early. The entire internet is psyched about that and always ready to fight for the player because, you know, contracts are fucked up and such and people have been broke off early before and on the surface, like Kyler Murray has flashed brilliance, but... When you look at the names of the guys who have been taken care of a year early, you're batting about 40% on like the success rates, the math's going against him. And then rapidly improving is the phrase that I really, that really stuck out other than the misspelling of the word chooses. Rapidly improving is one I would, I would say. What's the context? He's talking about himself? Yes. Or the team? Him, I think. Isn't he talking about himself? There, oh, no, no, no. Go I down. No, no, literally no. can't find it in this block of text. 
it is simply up to the Cardinals to decide if they prioritize their rapidly improving 24-year-old, already two-times Pro Bowl QB, who led the organization from three wins before his arrival to 11 wins in their first playoff appearance <laughs> in five years. No doubt about it, Kyler Murray is a net positive. You're happy to have him. But what we're talking about here is like believing in a guy for the next five to 10 years, essentially, right? Am I misreading this? He wants a long-term contract right now. And dude, like, it's really hard to negotiate with Kyler Murray now, not knowing what he's going to be like in three, four years. I know that's the name of the game and forecasting, but people like to act like with a quarterback like this, that it's automatic that he's going to stay this good. And even if he's, he stays this good, is it good enough for you? Because late in the season, they've kind of struggled and he's had durability issues. And like, listen, I love watching him play. I said some really bold shit about him last year. Remember the time that Lamar Jackson had the league by the balls and it was like Lamar show. And you're like, this is his league. If Kyler would just eliminate a couple little mistakes a game, he could be in that conversation for a year and kind of like have the league by the balls. And then he lost the grip. So I, yeah, he lost the grip on the league's balls. And that's sad. That makes me sad. And now to see this long letter signed with a logo, I'm like, dude, I'm not into logos. I'm not. I listened to the audio book of this letter, actually. Uh, That's a good one. That's a good one. So you read it. Exactly. Uh, So I don't know, man. Like, what do you think, mate? (laughs) I really couldn't care less. We talk often about the soap opera that is the NBA. Like, I... This feels... I'll see you in August. Yeah, dude. That's... <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is incredible. It's like, man, we're going we're gonna to do this, this long letter to uh, basically all our fans and tell them what's really going on, clear the air. And it's not that... It really doesn't sway me much. In fact, I'm kind of like... I just feel... I feel like... I was ready to pay the guy. It's this like stepbrother. Speaking of John C. Riley, I was like ready to hire John C. Riley and Will Ferrell and stepbrothers in their tuxedos, and then they farted. This is like the fart, dude. <laughs> I was ready to pay you, even with the. <laughs> we we were talking about like shitty sports adaptations with Perlman. Yeah. And John C. Riley is probably the worst baseball catcher I've ever seen in my life. Is he really For bad? love of the game, it's like. He stands up, tries to throw it to second base, and you're like, holy shit, what was that? That should not surprise me, but I will go back and look. Uh, I love, what. tell us at Greenlight, what are your worst, what are the worst sports action sequences in movies? Um, So yeah, Kyler Murray wants to be be paid and paid right now. Um, Hey, we're going to do a logo draft. Uh, I alluded to that with Jeff. Somebody sent in as a mailbag. This is essentially a mailbag pod now. Um, so one of the first ones we got was on the heels of our, you know, like uh, USFL discussion that we all very much enjoyed. Like uh, maybe we ranked the worst logos. Let's turn it into a fucking draft. All right. So who's got the first pick? I Matt, do. You you got it. Yeah. So Macon's gonna pick first. Fax will go second. Then Chris, then Taylor, and it's a snake-style draft. Which everybody knows how those work. Yep, and we're going to make four picks total, worst sports logos. With the first pick in the 2022 worst sports logos draft, team making selects Oklahoma City Thunder of the NBA. Let's pull this logo up. Now, they've got the letters OKC uh, running through a basketball on some sort of shield. 
with a bunch of different colors. <laughs> you know the logo. They just did. They did just slap. But you know, it's. I don't have any expectation for the thunder. Actually, I do. Thunder. Holy shit. Yeah, dog. It's it's historically bad, and and they've only been around a short period of but, time. But you know, you know what you would do if they put a lightning bolt through their shit. You'd be like, well, that's lightning. Well, you would totally for do that sure. Guy. But we can do some sort of weather related something. You're telling me that that logo though is worse in a vacuum than the Orlando Magic logo. I hate the Orlando Magic logo. <laughs> it's on your board. It's on my board. It's definitely on your board. But OKC Thunder is number one for me. I mean, Sacramento Kings are mailing it in. Well, dog, we're don't, having a don't draft. Don't give away here. your whole board, bro. They're not on my board. It's a tough couple months for the Thunder. They won our worst alternate jersey draft as well. Wow. It's I mean, not it's, great. It's definitely a mail-it-in thing there. Awful. All Who's right. two? Facts, you got the two pick. With the second pick and the worst <laughs> logo, 2022 draft, Team Facts selects the Chicago Bears. Wow. You guys like the Bears logo? Are you doing the thing where you do the opposite? It's good. No, not at all. Like, it's just a C. I don't like that. This, hey, how did I how can did show you a bunch of different bro. letters around here? Hey, I know. Like, that's you. a bad, that's a bad logo. Okay, I think. no, I'm just, hey, listen, it's a bold take. We like <laughs> it's the, the bold Chicago take. Bears. Why wouldn't you have some type of bear or something like that? It's like an easy, There's low an hanging fruit. You played, for, you played for the no, Bears? No, the main, I did play for the Bears, and that bothered me. Did that end like on a, was it a good ending or? <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> Yo, you got them now, though, Nate. That's a, but like, bro, like Nate, you I'm never, you never the wear that. They never wear that on the helmet. You'd rather ever. That to be the that alternate bear to be the number one. I would rather the yes. alternate bear as well. It's yes. a good looking bear. It's the a C, gorgeous bear. The C is just weird. Like I get it, it's Chicago, but. I don't want to give away. I don't want to give away my draft and yeah, my strategy. <laughs> but it's oh, very gonna, similar. Are you going to spell something? <laughs> it's very similar to a lot of other logos as well from different professional sports. And I just don't like. I don't he's, like that trend. He's I doing feel. All C's. I feel he's doing like all C's. that's going to be it. Yeah. He's going to. I feel like the marketing department is taking the easy way out. Well, the marketing department—they're all dead. The people that did that. But, well, well, but <laughs> that it's, marketing it's, department is dead. But they did, in I guess whoever's eyes, it they did a mad, good enough. It was the guys they in did, Mad Men. They did a good enough job that no one wants to change it. Still, no. Hey, listen, people <laughs> like classic, and I think that's the, 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 the you know. But hey, I respect it. You know how they have you know GSH on the on the sleeves. George, yeah. Hallis. Yeah. I thought in Detroit, WCF there for a while was, uh, I guess it must be Wayne C. Fonts <laughs> when it's actually William Clay Ford. <laughs> like Wayne Fonts' middle name must That's start with a C. one of the dumbest things yeah. that you, a very smart man, has yeah. ever said. Thanks. Well, I saw it when I was like, Wayne Fonts? <laughs> Wayne Fonts. I mean, it didn't take me, it took me like a matter of seconds to get to William Clay Ford, but Wayne Fonts was the first place. No I disrespect went. to Wayne Fonts, and I'm certainly in the same category, but you'd have to get run over by a truck at set, you know midfield to get put on the logo, like it, it, on TV. Like, And according to Wiki, uh, Wayne does not have a middle name, so. Yeah. So you guys like the Bears logo? Yes, dude. Yes. You do? All the C? Yes. Hey, well, but, what, but what makes it iconic? It's just a C. Because it's been around a long time, which might, okay. not, might not be a yeah, good enough reason uh, yeah. for you. Okay. But, but if you pick the Calgary Flames C, Chris is going to 
Please do yeah. not pick the Calgary <laughs> yeah. Flames C. The, I would fuck the Calgary Flames C, dude. Yo, that's fine. I would do take the Calgary Flames C out to a nice, <laughs> no, lobster dinner. Cut it out. And and I would take that thing home. And Who, you're who's right. a, who's and the third you're right. pick? Who's the third pick? Chris, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pull out my big board here. Brown's logo. Oh. Okay. It's a Rydell helmet. That was my second pick. You still <laughs> It's just an orange helmet. It's not even brown. Just has a. The, well, the it face, is the helmet they the wear. Fa- the face mask. Fair. The face mask is brown. I know, but it's totally. If I walked off of a spaceship, it was like, show me the logo here in Cleveland. <laughs> just another, hand me an orange football helmet. What's that team called? Another marketing team. The Browns. Another marketing team that had to be high or on something. <laughs> To let this fly, like how, like how do Again, you present dead this? Marketing team, but bro, but if you're an owner of a team, and you, and you have a team, and you're like, hey, make me a lo- make me a mascot, make me a logo, and present it to me, and someone brings this to you, and you, and your team name is yeah. the Browns. What do you say to this? Well, they're not really giving you a lot to work <laughs> with here. I think this is a major like, hey, fuck you guys. Like, you, I would think the- it's a joke. You'd be like, are you guys done? <laughs> like this is the helmet. Well, that's, we're that's gonna wear. how I felt in the marketing department when you're like, "What's the team called?" It's called the Browns. I think it's amazing marketing. In fact, that the name of the owner of that team was Paul Brown, so he named the team after himself. That's the that's the only cool part. The guy just such a power move. That's lit, but, <laughs> that's but lit. orange helmet. That's lit, but orange helmet, Mr. Brown. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, they're they're my first pick, dude. The Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, All right. Taylor. You got the fourth and fifth picks. So the fourth pick of the worst logo draft, I select the Anaheim Ducks. That's a good the pick. NHL. Pull that up pick. real quick. The Mighty Ducks? It's a good pick. That's no, well, the, the, so the old Mighty Ducks logo is a big reason why this is the yeah, worst. Used oh, wait, wait. It, it's not that anymore? No, it's no, not. No, they changed that bad it. Boy. Count the oh. Dallas Stars in that category. Hey, easy. Uh, they're not on my big board. I'm just do saying. You, do you think they that? They used to have in 1994. They had an incredible Yeah, that Mighty Ducks. Like do you think Duck that movie? At, uh, that Duck Bill, like, mask, hockey mask with the two sticks is iconic. And yeah, I, you yeah, get rid dude. of it for, like, a duck foot. Like I'm not. Footprint. Is that a foot? Yeah. That's what it kind of looks oh, like. Is a wow. duck footprint. I wonder. You. I wonder if Disney like strong armed them. You think they like took that over because of the movie? How popular Muddy Ducks got? Maybe. I've big, definitely big read di- about it <coughs> at that some that, point. That, that, oh, that oh I don't remember. Maybe you should fucking audio book it, and you would. Uh, Taylor, hit us with your fifth pick. All right, for the fifth pick of the worst logo sports logo oh, draft. Oh no, he's taking mine because I saw it go. I'm selecting the New Orleans Baby Cakes minor league baseball team. Sure. Hey. So That's it's, pro, it's a, right? It's, it's a, pro. Yeah, it's oh, not one of the wow. four major sports. Four, you know uh, what? I should have been a little clearer. Okay. A little curveball. Who else? Well, okay. I'll go with that. We'll, we'll cut that. We'll can cut I, can that. I jump we'll at? Okay. Yeah. okay. All right. For the fifth overall pick of the worst <laughs> sports logo Hold draft. Hold on, While <laughs> we're here. Because we, have to go we gotta talk about the Baby Cakes here. <laughs> Dude, it's bad. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> I have seen this mascot. It's terrifying. What the fuck is going? Is he, is he on a float? He's on a float? Yeah, but that's I'm... not a baby. That's the guy in the shield. No, he's on a cake. Oh, he's on a cake. They put the guy in the shield inside of a cake. Oh, no. The live one is terrible, though. I'm supposed to believe he's a baby. Yeah, the mascot's terrible. Who's your first pro- professional team? 
All right, so my uh, fifth, the fifth overall pick is the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, thank God. Ooh. <clears throat> Ooh. Once again, going back, I think the older Hawks logo is better with so, the the spreaded wings, claws on the or talons on the basketball. You think that's the older one? Damn, damn, that's weird because it has done a full circle thing. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. And he, but you know what? Taylor's generation is why, and I'm getting there. All these like Minnesota Timberwolves, like turn of the century uniforms, like uh, Atlanta Hawks, late '90s, the Josh Smiths or whatever. Like, and he ain't playing late '90s, early 2000s. But the Kimbe wore the yeah the the, the, the spread wings. out wings like those are cool they become retro oh the I, Memphis Grizzlies yeah. like that like I'm the original Charter on, Grizzlies this for sure like on T Wolves and Grizzlies but not on the Hawks this, I mean like the, they, the they, Hawks looks like Miss Pac Man if you actually look at it in a different so, way so I want I want to talk to you about that for thirty four years of my life I did not know there was a hawk in there Yo, which I think I makes listen, it great listen I went to the playoff game last year in Atlanta and. What you're saying is the same thing. I was like, look at this shirt. I was like, why is this logo like look like Pac-Man? And my girlfriend, I point out, like, she's like, you see there's like a hawk head in there. And I was like, no, it's oh, Pac-Man eating a fucking peanut or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me also. You, some people see this as a blue dress thing. <laughs> yeah, some this people like see the hawk. Some people see the hawk. And the hawk's eye. Yes. And I see Miss Pac-Man about to finish a level. <laughs> last, no question. <laughs> last bubble. It's a great point, facts. I used to play NBAopoly. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I used to love that stupid game. Total ripoff of Monopoly. And I'd stare at the hawk, not knowing what the fuck it I was. I love the hawk logo. The one I... I'll... I'll I can struggle with is is Wazoo. Mm -hmm. that I think Cougar that's a dope there. logo. I think it's a dope logo. I'm not saying it's not, yeah. but I just like what's my W doing there? I can't quite figure out what's It's a fucking cougar on an acid trip. Yeah. Uh all right, so Chris, you're on the clock. Terrifying thought, actually. Um oh, fucking the Phoenix Coyotes, man. I I saw it on I saw it on Taylor's what? big board and it was like my number 2 bro, the the Coyote no, not this one. Not this yeah, one. Yeah, no, that was my number 3. The one they've the made it cool. Yeah. No, 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 they no, haven't they made, didn't it cool. make it cool. They tried. Look at this logo, man. The Phoenix Coyotes logo. It's first of all, it's the Arizona Coyotes. And whatever the fuck it is, they need to fix this. This is not cool. There's too much going on. We let this we let this logo slide all the time. Oh, yeah, this is dope. I love this logo. You like this logo? Yeah. You like a coyote in a in a hockey uniform. You're a hockey team in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, what are we? Yeah, go go nuts. I mean, they gave him a stick. He's got opposable thumbs. He's holding the stick. You're appropriating Native American culture. It's not cute. It's a fucking hockey game. I don't like this logo. This logo's going two for me. All right, facts. Pick number seven. With pick number seven in the worst logo draft, Team Facts is selecting. <laughs> he'll be he'll be round sixteen, telling us what draft it is. It's beautiful. Me I can too. hear the thing in the, my head. Dun, 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 dun. Go, Nate. The New York Giants. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey. Uh, Guys, okay. like, look. I, I, I have I'm a good. feeling I know what I, I, are the Jags coming next. No, the Jags are not coming next. The New York Giants. First off, it's two lowercase letters. Two lowercase letters because you can't take mm. the uppercase letters because the Yankees already have that. So, well, but it's just, 
the Giants. You can find a logo. You can find some type of animation, something different. I just feel like it's super lazy to just have the initials and it's like i think you just the whole helmet is a logo like the logo is just obnoxiously large it's a giant logo it's a it's two lowercase letters at the end of the day their logo at midfield needs to go from like the red zone to the red zone uh that would be dope um but this is my these are my picks nate no wait i know and i just want to ask and i'll probably do this two more times did you play for the new york giants (laughs) I did play for the New York Giants. Did it end well? <laughs> um, it didn't end bad. That's why they're the second pick. Okay. <laughs> Nate and I are both giants. Once a giant, always a giant. And I'm I'm with you, actually. I think I think a rebrand is in order. I just don't know what you do. Do you prefer that 1975 NY? Does that and, do it for you? And maybe because the N is capital, but I, I think I really... Oh, that is fucking see, cool. That's yeah. fire, but I, I think it's really just the optic of, like, we're taught that you don't start a sentence with a lowercase letter. It's just, it seems inferior. Yeah, no, that's... that's, that's it honestly seems a little that's inferior. That's what they teach you day one of, of English major school. <laughs> Yeah. Is no right? Yeah. So we could be English majors, no problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, makes you got two picks. Okay. Um oh, hold, hold on a minute. <laughs> two picks. Not two. That's right. Yeah, it's a snake draft. Oh, yeah. Not I know. First. I'm fucking with you. You explain that draft to me as tradition every time we do a draft. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. With the eighth. Overall pick in the 2022 Worst Logo Draft. Team Macon selects the Columbus Blue Jackets of the NHL. Oh, they're bad. So, they're they're bad. They might have should have been the first pick. Thank you. Is like, what, you're what a steal. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, stars and, and swoops and swooshes. And... Um, I think like the I think that's the Ohio flag. I think it's involved. It's I think it's awful is what I think. It's terrible. You got the um what's it called? Is that a bevel? Like what Texas A and M and now the University of Virginia has on their logo. That's a bevel on the star. And um I don't like it. With the ninth overall pick, Team Macon's gonna select the uh the Orlando Magic for many of the same reasons I, I oh, just it's said. Terrible. Get more creative. It's terrible. Just slap a little magic tail on the fucking basketball and call it a day. Like, I I know we're being harsh, but especially some of these NBA teams, I kind of wonder. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in these meetings. Yeah. Facts, your pick. Team Facts selects the Miami Marlins. Ooh. He was just remarking on how he liked that logo. You know I was going to keep it right in Florida. He said Orlando. Okay. We're going to take it to Miami. So again, I just said the fish has an, gotten a little better. Another case I like that's the not old fish. Yeah, that's put the old, that old fish in the Timberwolves category. No, dog, category. that's a new one. That's a current one. What, this isn't the current one. No, yes. they've redone it. Oh, they redid it since that, dude. Oh, really? Like I what? Like in the last you. couple years? Yeah. Well, check it out. Check yeah. it out. So you might agree with Macon. Top. There it is. Right there. Oh. Total clip okay. art. Like it's total, not great, but it's better. I'm sticking with it. It looks, <laughs> it looks, it looks trashy. Uh, I'm a big fish fan, and if you're gonna call your team the Marlins, 
Like you gotta have a better fish logo. You're a big fish fan. I, I like. I, I do a lot of watching of fishing, like YouTube. Trey Anastasio. Nah, dear me for dinner. Blue Gabe. You know, they're, they're, I'm a pescatarian. You should watch. You should watch fishing shows. Are you then. offended as a pescatarian? Yes. That he just watches TV shows. Yes. I'm seeing how you get your your fresh fish. All right, Chris, you're up. Round three, pick eleven. I mean, um. Fuck, dude. The Minnesota Twins. Don't even make an effort. I know it's like a tall task, but, you know, it's just some... It's a fucking... It's a sweatshirt that a guy buys. That's the only... Like, that was the only thing they had in mind when they did the Twins logo. Can we put these on sweatshirts and will white guys in their 40s buy the sweatshirt? What's with that C? Like for logos, like what is it? You really don't like C's. It no, yeah, that it really it's, is the bear C. It's, it's just that C. Like why that one? That is the bear C. That's interesting. <laughs> it's also the cleat, like the reds. It's a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. It's weird. That's where I thought that would have been a great draft to just, just do all C's. C's. <laughs> I thought about it. <laughs> That's fucking good. All right, Taylor, you got the last pick in the third round. All right, with the last pick of the third round, Team Taylor selects. The San Diego Padres. Mm. I don't even know what a Padre is. I'm looking is, at an I'm looking at you. Hey, man, like I a, think you have the wrong are they logo. SD? Yeah, sorry, it's SD. It's like a fryer. Just a, a, yeah, I actually like this logo. Me too. It's a real safe, easy logo, but it it's not a cop-out. It's classic. Shit on it a little bit, Taylor. Get us in the mood. It's just two letters, man. I mean, I, I, there, what more do you want to Now they're brown what, and yellow, which is yeah. cool. Brown and yellow, it's two letters. I love brown and yellow. It's not even like a cool font. It's like... Bullshit. Fuck you. Look at that (laughs) font. No, I I take that back. I'm sorry. But look at that font. It's awesome. It's sharp. They're interlocking. It's got that little... Hey, hold on. Hey, hold on. Hey, hold on. That needs to be on our soundboard. The fry, the fryer's kind of cool. I'd like Hitting to the home run going yard. The fryer the going yeah. yard is awesome. <laughs> the vintage fryer. I would like. I'm just saying. Get you don't more, like the way those letters look. Just get more I'm creative than a fucking letter. Thank okay. you. I, I'm, like, I'm with you, man. Like I'm, I'm tired you. of seeing like all these teams just like, hey, yo, we got our new logo out. We updated it to <laughs> the first letter of our name. Real original. All right, last round of the draft. You each have one pick left. Taylor's up first. All right, and with my last pick of the worst logos draft, going NFL with mm. the Los Angeles Rams. It is not great. It's not mm. great. I think they had a really cool concept when the team was in St. Louis. And also from a – I kind of liked it with the Ram head. You like that Ram head. I like the Ram head, and I like the uh, the gold, like that metallic bronze and uh, the dark navy blue. Man, you just – Holy um, shit, dude. To, I maybe, like it better than this. Maybe you had to play in a game there or attend games there to really feel like that logo. I just have a visceral reaction to yeah. that that logo. But and also but nothing. from a design standpoint, this new Los Angeles logo. If you look at the L and the A, the slants uh, aren't even the uh, same angle. They're at two different angles. Uh, so Ooh, that kind of I do not like that font. I don't, I don't I, like that either. I think to what Macon was saying earlier, I think all these marketing teams, they're all pushing towards like a more simpler like approach to these. And I wonder if it has anything to do with like crypto and the future of like yes. tokens and like little emblems yes. and like emoji type things. Yes. I feel like everyone wants to have like their logos ready 
for that type of stuff. Do you think they're in there like, we got to be ready to get this on blockchain? 1,000%. 1,000%. Because emojis, like, emojis are a new, is the new way to, like, communicate. And all these teams and things like that in the future, moving forward. Hey, Nate, no emoji. I don't agree. Hey. Disagree emoji. It's fine. I know. But that's a hot take. It's a hot take. <laughs> Who's up? You are. Oh, that's fucking awesome. I would like to send back in my third round pick and put the Dallas Mavericks for my third third yes. Great put pick. The, thank you. Great Glad pick. you agree. I hate this logo. It's such a dog shit logo. You're the old logo's awesome. You put a cowboy hat on a basketball. Yes. It's literally infuriating that they go with that shit logo it's over inc- the classic one. It's incredible. I know that we're not just doing like spite for the for the new logo relative to the old one, but Fuck, the NBA is full of that. Chock I hate full that. Of that. And Horse. The, I mean, who gives a fuck? What is, what's, why are there six stars or seven stars above the horse? Probably That's, a reason. Probably some stupid reason that nobody knows. Does, nobody is, knows. Is that how many chips they have or no? Maybe. Definitely not. Definitely not the chips. <laughs> Look at that old fucking cowboy hat yep. on that beautiful M. Yep. Oh, it's not stars. It's just Dallas. <laughs> I just blacked it out. <laughs> That's better than the stu- than what I imagined it was. There's a star at the bottom because everything's got to have a star. I'm telling you, bro. Mark Cuban, crypto guy, he knows that logo needs a, an update. Um, and then so the, my last pick is gonna be. Uh, it's gonna oh, be, no, this Mr. is fine. He replaced his. I third replaced round my third pick round pick, and you said Mavericks. it was okay. You said it was okay. Oh, you did. Oh, I said it was a great pick. I don't know if I said we could totally ruin well, the tiger yeah, of the you're draft. You're just a drafter. I'm the arbiter. Next pick. Ooh, <laughs> this commissioner Dave, sucks. He just David Sterned you. Yeah, it's fine. Um, hey, he's moving it along. No complaints. No here. complaints here. I'm going the Brooklyn Nets. That's a good pick. Uh, uh, that's a terrible pick. You like that logo? I think it's if. It's just bad. Is it a net? Is that like a it. net? I don't like it. Well, is the triangle a net? God, you know what? Cleveland Cavaliers cheeks. See. Well, are you doing honorable mentions now? Or are no, you... I mean Cleveland Cavaliers might be my fourth. Damn, bro, you gonna pick everybody? Like, yeah, seriously. Well, while y'all like... were just prepping for a draft, I was prepping for an hour and seventy-five minute interview. So excuse, I'm sorry. You got ten seconds hour on the clock. Seventy-five minutes. Just give me. <laughs> <laughs> I was fully prepped. I could have taken that entire interview. Pelicans. Good pick. Yeah, I could tell right off the bat. Hey, are you serious? How about if it was Udonis Haslam? I was ready, How dog. How do I get out of this? Oh, you didn't like that? I did. I didn't think UD. Was... People call him UD. Okay. All right, Max. I get the joke. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I get the joke. I could have gone two hours, 75 minutes with Jeff Perlman. Now it's <laughs> me now, right? Oh, fuck me. Yeah. Nate, your turn. About to skip me. Okay, final pick in the 2020 draft. And who did you just pick? Did you pick the Cavs? Uh, I had not made my pick. <laughs> you said Pelicans, I thought. Yeah, you did. All right, Pelicans. I'll give it to the Pelicans. You off the clock now? I'm off the clock. All right. Team Facts with the last pick of the 2022 draft. Worst logos. We're going to the NBA and with the Detroit Pistons which is just a red basketball and <laughs> Detroit 
Pistons. But they tried to do more letters, dude. I don't understand what the rules are. (laughs) But they really, that old horse was better. No. Yes. They went back to the Isaiah and and the Lambeers. I understand. And and the horse horse was better, but then like the the uniforms are probably better now. And then and then the 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 muffler flame like under the pistons. I like that. But just this is another one. Basketball. But it is lazy. I like, do too. What, like, what I, I disagree nice with the, I disagree. But hey, what does this say about Detroit Pistons? Like it that says logo? we're back to the bad boys. Welcome back. Macon's got the last pick of the draft. Then we all got four. Okay. Um, with nods mm. to the uh, Rays, Astros, Rangers, Clippers, Dolphins for changing it up. Florida Panthers, LA Kings. I'm going with the Dallas Stars. And my roster is uh, very repetitive. Um, yeah, you 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 thought I was going Dallas early. I mean, yeah, they they botched that one. The bevel, it's a D on a star. You it's hate terrible. bevels. I hate bevels. Except for Bevel Conway. Except for Bevel Conway. I mean, uh, look, they made the top of the star the A and the Mike Madonos. Well done, full marks. And now we're just back to a... It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Back in the day, they had a sick one. It's pretty easy talking football in the green light pod. I feel pretty good about that. Knowledge level, 9 out of 10, at least. Some days, 10 out of 10. Compare it, or contrast it, rather, with my ability to code a website, to design a website, to execute a website, to put it out into the World Wide Web, like a 0 out of 10. And we need a website at the Green Light Pod. Can't just do football segments. So that's where somebody like Fiverr comes in. You know, we found the people that executed all those tasks on Fiverr. Real life. That's what happened. And this was my first time batting a thousand. And we love it. The website's awesome. It's live and it's powered by Fiverr. Uh, here are the, the great things about Fiverr. You can find what you're looking for instantly. It's easy. Customize your search by service, deadline, price, seller reviews, and more. No more guessing games. You know what you're paying for up front, and that's what I like. No negotiation needed. Pricing is always project-based, not hourly. I like that too. 24-7 customer service. Reach out with questions anytime, anywhere. You can find a freelancer with specific skills you need for your next project, Check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code GREENLIGHT. Find all the digital services you need in one place at Fiverr.com. F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Code GREENLIGHT. Again, it's Fiverr.com. Code GREENLIGHT. Uh, Okay, rapid fire these guys. These came in from the fans. Would you rather have Macon's big old teeth or Fax's crippled feet? (laughs) I have big teeth. I did not know you had big teeth. <clears throat> Why do I have crippled feet? You're, God damn, dude. Yeah, I thought you guys admitted this on the pod These or something. We have These are just no. judgments. Yeah. There are people being mean <laughs> damn, to us. People harsh. on the internet being mean. Crippled feet. Like, I think damn. your teeth are totally normal. Look at me. Oh, fuck. I fucked something up. I told you. Now you're going to have this stuck in your head. Well, I think it's going to roll off. Me more easily than it than it did you now, Mister Perfect Grill. Well, I had really a really fucked up grill. And by the way, you'd rather have big teeth than small teeth. I had little dolphin teeth. I, I'm okay with the criticism. And would you rather have Macon's big teeth or Will Compton's dolphin teeth before he got veneers? 
He talks yeah, about I'd, it openly. I'd rather be real, you know? And by the way, my answer would be Macon's teeth, because you can fix teeth. If you truly <laughs> What's have... What's wrong with my... <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with your t- teeth. Your I'm going gonna, gonna to snitch on whoever... Here, just a mailbag. Here, ro- a, here just, roast this guy. Just no, a mailbag. No, let's turn the mailbag back on the people. Ooh. <laughs> rather have me, my fat teeth, than your small dick. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Back to the d- jokes. Here's a little comedy trick, Taylor. If you bleep, <laughs> gets even funnier. <clears throat> Did you have one for reliving sporting event? No. Yes. You do. Which sporting event would, you, Roxanne, which sporting event would you want to relive? Um, the 93 stabbing of Monica Sellis in, in Hamburg. Um, I don't know that there are a lot of opportunities out there for me to be heroic. And if I can relive this, I see the stabber come and I tackle that guy whose name is Gunther, by the way. Really? I, I'm, I'm the guy. I saved Monica Sellis. 1993. I, and I'd be a seven-year-old hero. That's a good one. Thanks. I'm unprepared to dance here. I don't have okay. one. Was, is there anything, any sporting event you'd like to relive? Factory? Um, I think it would have been cool <laughs> to been at the Malice at the Palace. <laughs> yeah. would, you, would you have jumped in? I don't think I would have jumped in, but if that would happen like this day and age, like if I was close, I would have got, I would have got some great, some great up close footage yeah. that probably would have went viral, like ESPN or someone. You're always thinking marketing minded and one from Mike Golick that's kind of on topic. Right before you hit that, yeah. I, w- I would go watch Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game because there's no actual footage proof. of that. There's no it proof. was only on the radio. Well, they mm. play Super Bowls in a hangar. So. SAG Awards were in a hangar. Really? Yeah. <laughs> hey, SAG. Okay. Hangar. All right. Um, yeah, Candace, this comes from Candace was my, This comes from Mike Golick, and it is... <laughs> If you were stuck in a time loop, a la the uh, movie Palm Springs, Groundhog Day, etc., what would your plan of attack be at approaching life? This is from Mike Golick Jr., our friend. What? Um, Groundhog Day is a mo- fun. Do you, have days. you seen Groundhog Day? Yeah. You know what happens? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Same thing every day. <laughs> it's just like you repeat the same day over and over. So you woke up, and every day is February twenty eighth. Oh, okay. Not quite, but yeah. There's an Adam Sandler movie <laughs> like that. What's it called? When he just, he lo- like... 50 just, First Dates? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that one. There's also like, a Tom Cruise pretty, movie, The Edge of Tomorrow. Let's Peter? say it's literally today. Yeah. <clears throat> over and over. Yeah, here comes the... F- over and over. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't show up to this yeah. job. Yeah. yeah. Probably spend the day with my daughter. Yeah. You know, maybe my wife. Go to church. But that's the point. You're going to see him tomorrow. Like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm doing crazy shit, essentially. You're going to Vegas. And sometimes, I'm, can you die and come back? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Yes. You can oh. just, the answer is just you do different yeah, stuff I'm every going, day. I'm going oh, I'm just, I'm going nuts. I'm going nuts. Oh, I'd probably try to influence a college basketball game this evening. Get on one side, maybe streak the court. Oh, I would streak, like, everywhere. Yeah, just I, a lot I, of streaking. A lot of streaking. I would bankrupt win bet with a 50-team college basketball parlay. Eventually. 
Yeah, but the thing is, then but then you don't get to enjoy it, done and you can't spend the money. Yeah, I would cross over the international date line and see if it somehow screws up the time loop by messing with you know they're in like in a different time zone like that. You know what I mean? Like going yeah. back in the going back in the past in a way. Yeah, just uh, you got hit in, in the face with what we got coming from the back of the room, huh? It made its way back there, <laughs> <laughs> huh? No, realistically, I'm probably just doing some wild shit. All right. That's uh that's it for mailbag uh and everything else. Making it's three thirty. See ya. Have a great day. Take care of yourself. Take care. Nate, facts, have a great day. Peace. Thanks for reading our podcast. If hey. you prefer to read the podcast, go to greenlightpodcast.com. We have transcriptions. Holy shit. We if do you're making yeah, go to Greenlight and read the podcast. What we say is transcribed. <laughs> hey, good game, guys. Is that a d- I'd like to, in the spirit of... Um, I want to shake your hand. In the spirit of Tom Ezzo, good game. Yeah, we don't good, even need to talk. Good game. GG, GG. Good game. GG, Matt, GG. Taylor, good game. Oh, 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 oh.